Turn your head. Come back again. To here knows when. This is The Overnightscape online at theovernightscape.com. I am your host, Frank Edward Nora. For today, Monday, March 13th, 2023. Welcome, welcome to the show. Wow. Yes, welcome to the Overnightscape 20th anniversary. Week one of three. Yes, there's going to be three weeks of the anniversary. But uh, I'm all set up here. And, uh, you know, it is right now at 7.08 p.m. Now, I had everything set up. I had the entire thing set up. As, as you may know, I got all my old equipment out of the garage last week. I set it up. I tested it extensively. Today, I tested it, like, multiple times. Okay? I was all ready to go at 6.54 p.m., which was the exact 20-year moment from when I came up with the idea for the Overnightscape. But, of course, as these things happen... I was hit with this this litany of, of incredible technical problems. I, th- I think somehow at 6:54 p.m., my XLR cable, which is ancient, you know, it went bad, and uh, so I, I I don't know what the heck is going on here. Uh, I luckily I had another XLR cable, and it's sort of it's sort of working. It's working now. Anyway, welcome, welcome. Yes. Whew. This has been a long time coming. 20 years of the Overnightscape, okay? Exactly. I'm going to tell you all about this. Whew. Wow. And you know, what was funny at the same time. You know, it's kind of cold down here in the basement. We don't really have proper heating in the basement. It is the middle of winter. And it's been a nasty day, a nasty rainy day. I think it's going to snow later. And uh, so it's pretty cold down here. It's like 57 degrees. So it's like freezing down here. So I wore like all these layers, all these extra layers and a hat. I have a space heater here. And as soon as as soon as we hit that moment, I wanted to start the exact 20 year mark. Um, I, I, I all these technical difficulties and I started feeling really hot. So I had to take off all these layers. Anyway, we're here. We're going to listen. This is old equipment. It's not going to sound perfect. But um, yeah. So what kitties, what are you doing? <laughs> no, don't go in that crawl space. We're here in my basement, and I have all the old equipment. So 20 years ago, uh, this is the equipment I used to record the very first test episode of the Overnightscape, what I call beta number one. So this is my uh, Eurotrack MXB 1002 mixer from Behringer. And I have my uh, Joe Meek MQ3 channel strip, a Mad Player here. That's not the original Mad Player. I think the very original Mad Player eventually broke. This is one that Jerry from... uh, from SoCal sent me uh, where he adapted it to have an AC adapter so you could plug it in. Thank you so much, Jerry. And, uh, f- you know, I'm, I'm using my regular recorder to record this. And, of course, the uh, Shure 55 SH microphone, a dynamic mic. Some call it the Elvis mic. But this is the classic setup. So you're hearing me through pretty much the same equipment that I used 20 years ago to start the show. And... Uh, Yes, we're going to go in real time tonight. If I if I lose my train of thought, I can just turn up the music, the Mad Player music. What a great device the Mad Player is, and the fact is, like it just went, it was discontinued, and no one even talks about it anymore. I don't think there's anything like it out there. 
It just creates an endless stream of kind of copyright-free music. It was a big part of the early days of the Overnight Scape. Anyway, let's take a look at today's show art. Uh, it says the Overnight Scape 20th anniversary, week one of three. Now that font is ITC Juanita Xylo Condensed. And that was the very first Overnight Scape logo that I made. It was not, I did not have that logo when I started the show in 2003, but I created it at some point uh, in the next few years uh, on the bluffcosm.com site. Uh, so I, I used that font. So the, the part where it says the Overnight Scape is exactly the same orientation as the original logo and added the 20th anniversary, week one of three. And then you'll see there is the the uh, the Batwing logo there that I eventually adopted for the Overnight Scape. That was the logo of my previous project called Obliviana Super Occult Amusement. And underneath that, the lightning bolt, which um, was part of a later Overnight Scape logo. And then there is an outline, um, which is sort of uh, inspired by the outline I put on the cover of the new cover of the book. So, one moment. What's going on? Anyway, uh, the Overnightscape, the type is in white on a black background, and then the other elements are red. But as we go through the three weeks, those colors will change, as you'll, as you'll see. So, one moment. So it's interesting that today is another anniversary. It's the third anniversary of the COVID-19 pandemic, yes. Here in, in the United States, I remember at work on the 12th, which was a Thursday, uh, we, they brought us into a meeting room and they're saying, listen, this COVID thing is getting pretty bad. So we're going we're gonna to be working from home next week. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe, uh, well, at least Monday, maybe we'll come into the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but we'll see. We'll keep you, you will keep you posted, but tomorrow, make sure to come in, get, take your computer home, everything else. And um, that's what happened. And that was Friday, the 13th of March, 2020, three years ago today. And we went home and we didn't go back to work for God only knows how long, like a year or two. It was the pandemic, man. It's just weird. It sort of landed on the same day. Right, the same day as uh, the origin of the Overnightscape, that and that was the 17th anniversary of the Overnightscape back then. And it's interesting. I just watched the finale of the HBO show, the the Last of Us, which uh, takes place during a pandemic, but it the pandemic started in 2003, and now it's 20 years later on the show. In fact, some of the events that are taking place are later in 2003, like August or September 2000. I'm sorry, 2023. But it's weird that show kind of follows the same cadence, you know, 20 years later after 2003. Listen, it's all connected, all right? It's all connected. There's been a lot of synchronicities lately. I mean, just the fact that this this is episode 1998, 1998. And um, so, the, so the final, uh, the week three of three, which is the, will be the 20th anniversary of the very first official episode of The Overnightscape, not a test episode, not a beta episode, will be episode 2000 and that was kind of random how that worked it was just it would just it just worked that way it was crazy and you want to talk about uh, synchronicities um oh and by the way i just want to mention the last of us is a pretty good show on hbo i do recommend it i never played the game 
but it is kind of depressing. The world is destroyed. There's a there's a fungal pandemic, not not a viral pandemic. But anyway, um, so the other uh, kitty, be careful. The cats are going nuts down here. The other uh, synchronicity, another synchronicity is, uh, as you may know, we've been on Overnight Cape Central. We've been doing a series of uh, reviews of all the Beatles albums. And last week we just uh, did Revolver, the seventh album. Right, so each week we're doing one of the albums. So this this week, maybe I'll do it tomorrow or in a few days, I will be reviewing the eighth album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Right? And how does that album start? It was 20 years ago today. <laughs> Listen, everything is going on here, okay? It was 20 years ago today. I actually have written show notes now. It's sort of r reminiscent of the olden days. Kitty, what's going on? Um, and I have an orange Sharpie here. I'm just putting numbers next to the topic so I can construct the show notes later. It's a very different way of doing things. Kitty, what is the matter? Mojo. Mojo Fuzzo, what's going on? <laughs> Kitty. <laughs> That's an electrical panel. It's not for kitties. No. Um... Yeah, so anyway, talking about the Beatles, I got the Sorry. I got this great deck of cards, uh, Beatles playing cards. And I've been eyeing these for a while. I saw them online. They're from a playing card company called Theory 11. And I thought of ordering them, but they had come in four colors and I I didn't I didn't know what to choose. And when it comes to uh the game I play with my cards is my Flea Devil Solitaire, right? And so there's a special need. I need three jokers. So I need the two jokers plus a third card. And some decks, Kitty, what is the matter? Some decks, they all, most decks these days come with those two extra cards. Some of them have the same back and some don't. So I prefer cards that have the same back for the additional cards. So I have 55 cards. Kitty, come here. What is going on? I think he's just confused because what's going on down here? Um... So when I went to Barnes & Noble the other day, I, uh, which I think was on Saturday, yeah, I, uh, I saw they had a few of these Beatles in the green color, but there was only one choice, only green. So it was, an easier, it was easier to choose. So I bought two copies just in case um, it didn't have a good uh, right, 55th card. But as it turns out, these cards are really, really amazing for playing Flea Devil and really cool cards. And we've definitely been on a big Beatles kick these days. It's 20 years ago today. Yeah. I, I, I really didn't look at these cards before. They're, they're, they're very cool. See, I'm, I'm holding my... I don't have a mic stand because I always, when I did the show, I held the microphone in my hand. But then I have to sort of... Think, to go through the cards, I gotta, it's going to be kind of awkward. Yeah, the Jokers are the Fool on the Hill. The eight, and the Aces and Face cards are different Beatles things. So like the Ace of Spades is I Am the Walrus. Right, and then we get to the the spades. Um, Father Mackenzie is the jack. Uh, Eleanor Rigby is the queen, and Paul is the king. Ace of diamonds is Rocky Raccoon, with the with the Bible, Gideon's Bible. Uh, the jack of diamonds, Kitty. Oh, that oh that that's where that went. No, no, that's an audio connector, Kitty. <laughs> my audio gear. Listen, I forgot how just overwhelming all this audio gear is and all these wires. That's why I switched to just doing this show with, with me and a, and a portable recorder. Let's continue on here, shall we? So we have uh, 
The Jack of Diamonds is Maxwell with his silver hammer. And the Queen of Diamonds is, of course, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. The King is John. Then we have the King of Clubs, which is Ringo. And uh, Queen of Clubs is Lady Madonna, children at your feet. And the Jack of Clubs is uh, Mr. Kite, for the benefit of Mr. Kite. Let's see. Ace of Clubs is the octopus from the octopus's garden. And we have the King of Hearts is George. And uh, this this is a tough one. I had to look this one up online. Queen of Hearts is um, Prudence. Dear Prudence, won't you come out to play? That was Prudence Pharaoh, Mia Pharaoh's sister, who was stuck in India with all these maniacs in this cult compound. And the Jack of Clubs, sorry, the Jack of Hearts is, I believe that's Bungalow Bill. Went out tiger hunting with his elephant and gun. And Ace of Hearts is the blackbird singing in the dead of night. And then the two extra cards are sort of like Beatles posters. Theory 11 presents the Beatles. But I, so I have, so I don't, I've been using the other deck for uh, Flea Devil and it's been great. Um, Yeah, it's amazing. Who knew 20 years ago? Because it took me 15 years to invent this card game, Flea Devil Solitaire. And, uh, who knew it would get to this point? I know no one else is playing it. And, and now that we're here at the 20th anniversary, I do need to, I, I guess I need to make some YouTube videos to show people how to play this game. Uh, the newest rule is the antiques rule, and that really, I think, is uh, it's a great rule. That's if you, uh, if you do walkie-talkie, and uh, the card you teleport in is um, not a royalty, so it's not a face card or an ace. You can actually turn it into an ace. The pair of cards now become like an ace. And so that means you can get higher scores than than, than traditionally that 312. I've gotten 390, which is, uh, you know, 12 royalties and five aces with that additional. I still have to figure out. There's, it's very complicated how many antiques you could possibly get. Um, but I think I can figure that out eventually. And then also you can cash in the antique for one, one, one dollar. And that could help you pay for perhaps at the end of the game. Sometimes there's times where... You only need one more dollar to win the game, so check it out. Beatles playing cards. (coughs) Talking about music. Excuse me. (laughs) Yes, talking about music. Um, you know, I, I, I give the kitties their treats at night, and then I play with the, them with the laser. So I like to put on some music. And I never know. It, what's annoying is you have to think of what to put on, right? You can't just random. Like, uh, there should be, there are ways of doing it. So I actually tried on Apple Music. They have Frank Station. So they know my music tastes very well because they've been watching and recording everything I listen to. I know that sounds a little creepy. Uh, but the first three songs that they played on Frank's radio station were just perfect. It was like it was like the perfect trilogy of songs. And then the fourth one was this band Max Webster that I'm just starting really getting in, getting into. They're a Canadian band that were contemporaries with Rush. But I don't know their music very well. Anyway, so the first song that comes on is Kula Shaker's Tatva. Remember that song? It was uh, what was the guy's name? Crispian Mills. It was uh uh Heather, Haley Mills' son. I remember when they were on uh Howard Stern. 
they were playing the song, and, and Howard Stern just kept saying, Haley Mills is my mom. Haley Mills is my mom. But that's actually a really good song. Um, yeah. And then a much more famous song, See Emily Play by Pink Floyd. Emily tries but misunderstands. You know that song? And finally, Mind Games by John Lennon. Playing those mind games forever. Right? What an incredible trilogy of songs. That was wild. I had to, I had to uh, record that. And by the way, th- that little thing I said at the beginning of the show, um, I used to do that. I used to like say like a random phrase, and it was... Uh, Turn your head, come back again, to hear knows when. And that's a, a quote from the My Bloody Valentine song, um, To Hear Knows When, from the Loveless album, one of the greatest albums ever made, 1991. Yes. Figure we'll, uh, we'll 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 get to some more uh, general topics because uh, of stuff that happened this week, and then we'll get to the anniversary stuff. So let me let me just give you sort of an outline of what's going on. How does this anniversary thing work? So I set up the equipment in the basement. Thank goodness it's working. I, I was so worried, but you know, if there wasn't some kind of technical disaster, I would have been worried. The moment I was going to start, everything start everything was melting down. Do I need this? Let me see. I don't know if I have my condense my condenser uh, set right. Anyway, I think it's a compressor that is. If I just turn off the compressor, I don't know. I don't know. I kind of like the weird compressor sound. Anyway, I think I can do this, this, this. This might this might help. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Oh my God! All this analog equipment is going to drive me nuts. Listen, it's because it's the 20th anniversary. So um, this week, we're going to uh, take a look at the first 10 years of the Overnightscape. So 2003 to 2012. Next week, we're going to be taking a look at the following 10 years, uh, 2013 to 2022. And then uh, the third week, we're going to hear from you. Yes, as you may know, for a month or two now, I have been giving out this phone number. It is like an, an-, an online answering machine. I've just used Google Voice, like a free service. Kitty, what is going on? Um, so it's a phone. You call this phone number. When I went on Google Voice, I wanted to see the, you know, the Overnightscape 20th anniversary, right? So I'm like, ONS, Overnightscape. 20th you know you can convert that into letters see i know probably younger people don't know about this but if you look at a telephone or even on your phone there's little letters underneath the numbers so you can spell things out i don't know if that's something that people really still know about um so i'm like there's no way in hell on google voice that ons 20th is going to be available but it was i could not believe it it was in the 949 area code which is southern california like like la area so the number is 949-ONS-20th. That's 949-667-2084. And you still have time if you're listening to this shortly after I released it. Two more weeks. Two weeks from tonight, I'll be playing all the messages. I have not listened to them yet. I want to hear them fresh. Okay? want to hear them fresh. And uh, please leave your message. You still have time. What is the matter, Mojo? 
Kitty. Uh, hold on. Listen to some music while I go see what's going on with the kitty. Yeah, so there's this, uh, like in the in the wall, there's like an, an opening because the gas meter's back there. So I have like a this weird placemat thing. What is going on, Kitty? I don't know what he's, he usually jumps up to go in the window, but I don't know if he's, I hope the other cats didn't jump in the wall. Kitty, please. <laughs> what is the matter? I don't know what's going on with him. Anyway, um, what was I going to say? Kitties. I forgot what I was saying before, but see, when I'm doing this show not in real time, I can rewind and listen to what I said. I guess it doesn't sound too bad. I mean, considering this stuff was sitting in a garage, I don't remember the last time I used this equipment. I really don't. Um, it may have been around that. I mean, I, uh, when did I move here? No, I'm no. It was. I'm trying to remember when I used. It was a long. It's been a long time since I used this equipment. I think I didn't look it up, but anyway. Ah, yes, this is what I wanted to mention. Um, if you want to talk to me and uh, be part of this celebration of the 20th anniversary of the Overnightscape, I will be having an exit ramp this coming Sunday, March 19th, 2023. And everyone's invited. If you didn't get an invite, I sent the invites out today. It's a private. It's a private event because I apparently, if you do a public event with Zoom, all these people like raid your stream or something. So if you did not get uh, an invite, please send me an email, Frank at theovernightscape.com, and I will send you an invite. We would love to have everyone on the Excellent Ramp. This is a show where we. Um, where it's like a Zoom, it's a Zoom call, so we see each other. You don't have to turn your camera on if you don't want. Some people don't. Most people do. And I record it in audio and release it in audio. I do not release the video. Um, so this time we will be talking about the 20th anniversary of the Overnightscape. And I am actually wearing an Overnightscape t-shirt. <laughs> this one was way in the back of my closet. I haven't worn this one in a while. It's a green shirt with that... Uh, one logo with that lightning bolt on it and the logo in the uh, the Bookman bold italic swash, my favorite font, as I did mention on a recent episode. And um, yeah, I think that used to be available on Cafe Press or something. I don't even know if that's still available. Listen, it's been 20 years. What do you want? Okay, I, I can't remember all this stuff. 20 years later. Let me see. Let me just, is Cafe Press even still a thing? <laughs> 
it's wild thinking about those old days. It really is. Cafe Press Overnight Skate. I think I checked this a while back. You know, I, I, I didn't, I haven't really felt like having products was uh, particularly important. I didn't make, I didn't come to some realization, oh, I'm going to stop having products. It just sort of drifted away. Okay, here we go. So here is the the link to Cafe Press. And it is a dead link. They deleted my stuff. They deleted it. There is no more stuff. Sorry to say. Um, I may do more stuff like that in the future, but it's not like a priority, you know, to have products like like T-shirts and stuff. That would be, would be cool. I think I might like to have T-shirts of the brand new book image, which is sort of our new brand image. Brand for a non-commercial. Even if it's a non-commercial enterprise, it still has an image and a brand, right? I would think so. Anyway, um, here's another bit of weirdness in the news. You may know my uh, uh, favorite number is 209 or 209. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know about this. It's a whole thing. Um, yeah, it, it, does, it will figure into the story of the Overnight Scape. I'm I'm, I wanted to give like a, an overview of how the Overnight Scape came to be. Um, but anyway, as you may know, last week... This bank, Silicon Valley Bank, went belly up and they, they failed, right? And all the stories were like, they have $209 billion in assets. Everyone, 209, 209, 209. Listen, it may just be a coincidence. And then some other site said they had 211. What, are they, what, they suddenly found another $2 billion? I thought they lost it all. That was pretty wild, though. Silicon Valley Bank, $209 billion in in assets and uh, some some sad news and some Mandela effect news you know when you hear about a celebrity dying and you pretty clearly remember that celebrity died like two years ago that's what this is for me um, as you may know I live in the town of Nutley New Jersey it's a very unique town there's no other town called Nutley and I found out a year or two ago that radio star Fred Allen used to always mention uh, Nutley, New Jersey, when he wanted to talk about sort of a generic shitty town, (laughs) you know, like a random generic shitty place to live in Nutley, New Jersey. (laughs) Anyway, there's three big celebrities from Nutley. Listen, I don't qualify yet. Maybe someday. Maybe someday. Well, there's there's four big celebrities. uh, Tan Mom, of course, another Howard Stern celebrity. She's uh, from Nutley. She was a mother who did too much tanning. And she became a, one of the whack pack on Howard Stern. Um, we also have Martha Stewart, the uh, the home home uh, economics uh, genius, whatever you want to call her. Uh, she used to live right down the street, and I, I know what her, her you know her house is very famous where she lived. And then we have Annie Oakley, right? Annie Oakley, the old West sharpshooter who worked with Buffalo Bill, and there's. Uh, you know, murals of her on the post office and at City Hall and everything else. But we also have a very interesting celebrity in Robert Blake. Most people might, well, today no one would know him. He was in, uh, was he in Mulholland Drive? Was that the one he was in with, with the David Lynch movie? He was star of Beretta, a TV series where he was a detective with a, with a cockatoo. And uh, he was one of the little rascals. He was, he was known as Mickey. I think his real name was Mickey Gubatosi. He was in the Little Rascals in the later years, right? So he was, so with him dying, he died. So with him dying, there's not that many Little Rascals left, if there's any left of the Little Rascals. Whatever happened to Froggy? That's when the show really jumped the shark. 
It really nuked the fridge. Remember Froggy? This kid, hello there, my name is Froggy. He had this, he had this like some sort of horrible problem with his voice. It was so annoying. And Spanky was like 22 years old. What, you know, the, the later years uh, when, when uh, Hal Roach sold the show to MGM, I think. That was a tough time. So I don't know. Mickey was in at some point. But anyway, Robert Blake dead at age 89. I can swear he died back in 2018 or 2019, one of those years. I remember him dying. I talked to other people who remembered him dying, too. Can I search the overnightscape here, see if I mentioned Robert Blake dying in the past? I don't know. I, this is so maddening, this Mandela effect, you know? The biggest one for me was Mr. T, right? When he, I could swear I remember a whole week where everyone was talking about Mr. T, honoring him, A-Team, all this other stuff. And then he was alive. Let's see. Robert Blake. Wait, let me see. Hold on. I don't have any room here. As I'm on this like circular table with that with very little uh, room to do stuff. Oh, it's that Mike Douglas show with Robert Blake. I la- I laugh at life. I-, I I laugh at life, man. He of course was accused of murdering his his wife, but he got he, he apparently it wasn't him. Yeah, I looked it up. I, I, it's very confusing because his wife, before he married her, and she was like this celebrity stalker who would just stalk all these celebrities, and. Uh, I don't know exactly what happened, but he was at a restaurant with her. They went out to the car. She got in the car, and he's like, wait a minute, honey. I forgot my gun in the restaurant. Who does that? Who brings a gun into a restaurant? And then, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I forgot it. Let me go get my gun. (laughs) He goes to get his gun, and then she is shot dead in the car. And so, obviously, everyone at the restaurant saw him with a gun going out to the car. But apparently, the ballistics showed it wasn't his gun. So I don't know what happened anyway. Um, so he died again, I suppose, 89 years old. I could, sw- I mean, I remember because, um, wait, is there more Robert Blake stuff here that I talked about? Because I do have that one. No, I don't know. If, yeah, yeah. I think that's the only, yeah. Oh, wait. I talked about him. Ooh, Dave in Kentucky talked about him. In, the, in themes like old times. No, I talked about him on the Overnightscape 1640, Texas 5, October 7th, 2019. But it doesn't say he died. <laughs> Damn it. Well, it wouldn't. I mean, if, if this is a different timeline, it would, it would certainly edit all my show notes, right? My show notes would be slightly different than I remember them. But are my old shows different, too, if there's a Mandela effect? I don't want that. I, I, I like my archive being intact. You know what I mean? That's what I like. I like my archive being intact. Yes. believe it's exactly 20 years but the show hasn't started yet 20 years ago i'm gonna get to the whole story it's, it's really kind of an amazing story but uh 9 is, is the time when the show started so i came up with the idea at 6:54, named the show at 703 and 9 the first episode began anyway what else do i have here before we get there l- l- let's have a toast okay let's have a toast to the overnightscape I have a drink here. Hold on one second.
Alright, what do we got here? I got a mezcal here. I already re reviewed this on the show. When did I re when did I review this? Hold on a second. I had the page open, but now it's closed. This is El Sarao Oaxaca. And I did I reviewed this one back on the Overnightscape 1983 on January 19th, just a couple months ago. Uh, I think my neighbor got me this one. Yeah. Um, this is the artisanal mezcal. So this will be good to have a toast. Anyone have any beverage of your choice? Or even an imaginary beverage? We're going to have a toast to 20 years. Because I feel like I need a drink at this point. All these technical issues. Cats going nuts. What is going on here? All, all these people dying that died before. Now come on. Yes, mezcal. Hello, hello, sorry. <laughs> this, <laughs> these wires are on like a hair trigger. If they move like a micrometer, it, it goes off, you know? It, it, it's so aggravating. So aggravating. At least they have the Mad Player channel I could turn up when there, whenever there's a problem. Anyway, uh, this is, uh, see, I didn't know about mezcal back then at all. I, never, I, don't, I mean, I may have heard the term, but. Mezcal is my favorite spirit now. And let's have a toast. 20 years of the Overnightscape. So 20 years ago, uh, I was on the PATH train. I'm trying to remember exactly where, where I was going. I, if I was on the PATH train, maybe I parked at um, Journal Square in Jersey City. Or I also was parking at the Liberty Science Center parking lot. Um, that may have been the one I went to. But that would have been the, the light rail. I think it was the PATH train. I know I've puzzled. I've been trying to figure out my own history here, but I was on a train on my way home when I came up with the idea, and I got home, and then well, we'll get to that story. But anyway, a toast. Let's have some mezcal here. Mmm, some mezcal music. Mmm, ah, good stuff. I like this one. Has a bit of like an industrial cleanser sense to it. Weird. That's what I love about mezcal. It has these weird flavors in it. Like, you know, sometimes when you, when you go into an office building and you smell the cleansing products that the overnight crew use to clean, that's kind of what mezcal, some mezcals taste like. Those are my favorite mezcals. Yes. Anyway, yesterday, I went to see my father. You know, he's still living in the house that I grew up in, in there in Bridgewater, New Jersey. And... um. So when I went home, every time when I go home, I want to do something. I want to go somewhere interesting, even if it's just a stop by somewhere. Remember a month or two back, I went to that bookstore in Madison, New Jersey, and then I went to that Dunkin' Donuts where I filmed that video in 89. So I always want to do something. So I remembered uh, there's this toy store on Route 22 in Donella, New Jersey called Tiny Tots. It, it was there. It's not there anymore. But for me growing up, this was one of the premier toy stores. I, I was aware of Toys R Us. I think we had one around. I'm, you know, because I'm like, I was born in 67. So I, we're talking about the 70s here, right? Um, and to me, I thought Tiny Tots was this huge chain of toy stores that was uh, every bit as immense as Toys R Us or Myers or what, what, what was the other Child City? What, what was the one called? Uh, something City. Lionel Kitty City, that's it, yeah. There were a lot of toy stores back then. 
But that was only that one location right there in Dinellon, right on Route 22. The famous Route 22 that I know um, Maverick 88 has been talking about because he grew up in my neighborhood. From, 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 uh, he's now in Texas, you know, from uh, Post Arlen Monologics. That's a great show. If, please check that one out. Uh, he's, he's, he's fairly new to the channel. He's someone I knew back in the 70s as a kid in my neighborhood. He's talking a lot about Route 22. And, of course, Gene Shepard, who plays a huge role in the origin of the Overnightscape, he did a whole TV special about Route 22. Um, so I just love Tiny Taunts. It closed many, many years ago. I have vague memories of being there in the early 90s, but it must have closed down during the 90s. So was it last year or the year before? Uh, I was in Somerville, and Stacy, who who owns this store, uh, Incognito, on, on Division Street there, um, and she and Alex works there too, Alex, who ran the comic store that I went to in the 80s. Somehow Tiny Tots came up, and she's like, oh, yeah, well, it's a thrift store now. I'm like, oh, the same layout and everything? Because Tiny Tots had this unique layout. It was, uh, you walk in, and there's one front area, and then there's a stairs, that little uh, stairs that go down to a, to a lower level. It's kind of weird. And I have never been there since I was there, since I went there as a kid, maybe in the early 90s. So I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to go to this thrift store, which is called Yellow Tag Thrift Store, which is and I was just hoping that it w I would be able to sort of, sort of imagine what it, what the original Tiny Tots was like there. Um, so, you know, for me, the way you drive somewhere is is really important to me. You know, each road has its own feeling. You know, so I'm like, how am I going to get down? I'm on Washington Valley Road there uh, in Ridgewater, and I'm like, there's many roads. You can just turn right. All the roads basically go down to 22. I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to go on Morning Glory Road. Because every time I drive past there, I see Morning Glory Road. It's such, there's such a lot of weird road names around there. Remember Morning Glory was like a... It was like a... It was a... a I don't even describe... It, it, it was in malls. It was a store called Morning Glory. And it was like sort of a ripoff of Sanrio. You know Sanrio, Hello Kitty, and all those, those uh, characters? Morning Glory was kind of like a like a ripoff of Sanrio, and it was in every mall for a while. Now it's gone. So I think about that whenever I see Morning Glory, <coughs> Morning Glory Road. So I turned down there, and it was what a great road that is. I don't think I've been on that road for a long, long time. It does wind around, and at one point, there's this incredible view of this. You looking down on this entire valley. What an amazing view on Morning Glory Road. Um. And, you know, in the evil farm, when they're like, oh, my God, look at that view, right? That, I, it may have been there or something like that. It is an incredible view. But there's all these weird road names around here. So I just I just wrote, jotted down a few of them. Uh, Winding Ridge Way. This is roads that are off of Morning Glory Road. W Winding Ridge Way, Top of the World Way. Mobus Lane, almost like Mobius. Can you imagine Mobius Lane? It, it, it like you're driving on it, then then all of a sudden you're underground, then all of a sudden you're back up. You know, Dogwood Hill. This I like this one. Sunny Slope Drive and Drift Way. That's another good one. Drift Way. So anyway, eventually you get to a light, and I turn left onto Route 22. There's just something about approaching Route 22 from that hill. And then turning left or right. I just love that. 
I love driving in New Jersey. I know I know I talk about it a lot, and um, and I also just I and I you know I love driving down Route 22 anytime I can. It's a bit far away for me, but it's kind of on the way. It's a little bit out of the way to, to go from me to my father's house, but it's not that far out of the way. Um, so anyway, I I kept my eyes peeled for the yellow tag thrift store because I wasn't really exactly sure where it was in the sequence of Route 22. Let me turn this space heater off. It's it's so cold down here, but somehow I'm hot. You know what? It just went up to 60. That space heater really works. Anyway, so I went to the Yellow Tag Thrift Store, and uh, it is just a big, huge, rambling thrift store with a lot of junk in there. I mean, I was really, you know, I was the the level of junk in this place. It's a thrift store. That's what they have, but it was really bringing me down. It was like bumming me out because it reminded me of all of the crap I used to have in storage and, 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 and stuff that's in my garage, and it's, just, it's very stressful. But they had a lot of cassette tapes. They had books, uh, electronics and stuff. So you go in, and it's the exact same layout. It's that, it's that first layer, that first landing, and then it goes down. It's so it's incredible. It's the same space. It was so meaningful to me. But, uh, yeah, that, I think the people working there were like it was towards the end of the day. They were tired and bored. I, I was going to ask them about, oh, this used to be Tiny Tots. But I, I didn't really get a good opportunity to banter with them. And plus, I noticed like younger people aren't good at that banter, like, like like a cashier and customer banter. You know, people used to have that ability just to go up to them and just start talking to them. And I've noticed that at times that younger people, not all younger people, but some people have have uh, trouble with the uh, with the banter. I think that was just a life skill that you picked up back in the 20th century that may not be a skill anymore. Anyway, I remember I was there. The, mo- the most important time I was there, I know the exact date. It was <coughs> October 2nd, 1977, because we were celebrating me and my sister Julie's birthday. By the way, Julie was a star of the early days of the Overnightscape. She's not on anymore, though. Um, my birthday was October 1st. Hers is- my birthday is October 3rd. Hers is October 1st. So we were celebrating on the 2nd, and we went. we drove down to Tiny Tots, and they had a display of Mattel Electronics handheld games. This was like the first wave of good handheld electronic games you can get. This was the same series that you, I'm sure you've seen, the football, right? The football one, the basketball one, the Mattel Electronics handheld games. This was the very first wave of them, so like auto racing and, and a few different ones. I think there was a football. But I wound up getting Missile Attack. So there's a there's a recording here on the channel where I mean, I suppose I can try to find it, but I'll, I'll just quote myself. I'm like, I just got my Mattel Electronics missile attack. Now I'm playing it. And you hear me playing it. Um, it's called Birthday 1977 I, because I also got my tape recorder. Listen, I'm getting ahead of myself. I was going to tell this whole story. but uh, So I remember going there, and I, I, I always have trouble deciding. I must have had a real hard time figuring out which one to get. But I got Missile Attack, which turned out to be a fairly rare one because they rebranded it a few years later as Battlestar Galactica. This was electronics that had the the glowing red, right? If you remember, at some point, the digital watches were glowing red. They didn't have that gray-on-gray LCD, liquid crystal display. That was red, bright red um, diodes. I think they were, they were considered diodes, right? Uh, so... And it's a very simple game. There's three lanes, missiles coming down. You have the guy to shoot the missiles. Um, so I remember being in that store. So it meant so much to me to go back there. But it was kind of 
kind of depressing <laughs> in its current state. And there's all these signs everywhere, you know, like like uh, no, you, you must wear a shirt. The shirt must be tucked in. And by the books, it's like, if you make a mess, you will be banned from this store. They must have so many unruly customers coming in. They have signs everywhere. These people must be tortured by their customers. It's so sad. And I have another memory from Tiny Tots. They had uh, a bunch of posters, right? You know, the poster display where it's like sort of a rack and you can kind of move them from left to right to see the different posters. And I saw a Grateful Dead poster. Probably one of the ones, you know, with the skeleton and everything. And I, I had no idea what it was. I'm like, what is this? Grateful Dead. I don't know if that was the first time I became aware of the Grateful Dead. Um, it's funny because, right, I have one of those Boyce, uh, Cub Scout handbooks and... Uh, one of the little, like your parents have to sign it or whatever. And one of the dates was 5877. A few months or before that, that's the date of their incredible uh, Cornell University show, right? They consider the best Grateful Dead show ever. And they're actually going back to Cornell this year to recreate that show. Or I don't know if they're recreating the show, but they're going to be back at that venue. It's all connected, man. It's all connected. It's all connected. See that? See the uh, the comp- the condenser is like limiting the proximity effect. It's all connected, man. See, it's it's limiting. I, I like to do that for for accent sometimes. What's up with this channel strip? That's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to even out the sound. It's very very abrasive, very abrasive sound. Anyway, what do we have here? Yes, and I got a big. Uh, travel coffee cup of uh, vegan chai masala if I get thirsty later. Well, I also have more mezcal. Anyway, so in a moment, we're going to get to the history of the Overnightscape, and we're going to be listening to random clips from the first 10 years of the Overnightscape in one moment. Maybe I'll have a little more mezcal. Hello, hello. It's wild using a mixer again to do this show. I sort of forgot. It's just an additional tool you can use for the show. It's amazing. Um, so yeah, let's get into this now. So this is, today is the 20th anniversary to the day, the day that I came up with the idea and did the first test episode. So how did I get to that point? So I was born in New Jersey in 1967, like I mentioned. I always was interested in radio. I think there was a real... One real uh, moment, I mean, the first time I encountered it was my father had a tape recorder, and he actually recorded me, interviewed me as a two-year-old in 1969. I think I mentioned this on the last episode. It is so valuable to me that I have actually have audio of myself. Maybe you can find that. I don't know. Listen, you can hear it, but there's, so I, when I heard it played back, I think it was something I was very interested in. So I used my father's tape recorder to do... Uh, a bunch of recordings, some of which survived. And finally, in 1977, that same day that I was talking about, October 2nd, 1977, I got my own tape recorder. And it was the kind that had the keys in front. You press play to play, and then you have to push play and record to record. You know that kind. And did a ton of shows on there. And really, my love of radio 
was there from a young age. You know, it's it's an or, it's radio is like an orientation. You know that you're a radio guy from from the early days, right? Um, so when I went to when I was looking for colleges, I was also kind of like wondering about the college radio stations. Eventually. I went to Drew University in Madison, New Jersey. That was the only college that accepted me, by the way. Uh, and uh, I did not join the radio station immediately. But my first day in college, and this is relevant, and I've talked, told this story so many times, but I was walking to the orientation barbecue, and I did eat meat back then. I was not vegetarian yet or vegan. And I'm walking across campus. I think I was by myself because the only person I really knew was my roommate, John because I met him uh, over the summer at some sort of orientation event. And I hear this guy saying, I'm interested in figuring out the secrets of the universe. And so I struck up a conversation with him. That's Brian from the Three Weasels. You just heard a couple episodes ago we had a Three Weasels adventure. And uh, he's like, oh, where do you live? I'm like, oh, I'm in, I'm in Brown, uh, uh, Brown Hall, room 209. He's like, well, that's strange. I'm in Tolly Hall, room 209. And then the two dorms were connected. And that started the whole 209 thing. Um, <clears throat> starting in February of 1986, me and I met Mad Mike. He was on my floor. And he was a year ahead of me. And we got a radio show together. And it was called Anything But Monday. And we got in a lot of trouble. We were, we were doing like offensive humor. We were trying to be like, I guess back then, it was there, oh, what do you like, Imus or Howard Stern? Howard Stern was around back then. I was a huge Howard Stern fan as well. Um, we got kicked off the air. We did a magazine, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so then we published, the, we published the magazine as a nationally distributed comic book. You can still find it on eBay and stuff. People still sell it. Then the 90s came, and it was I started this project called Obliviana, which was based on 209. Very strange project. Eventually, I had an easing called Osoa Week, which is still online at franknora.com. And I wasn't really doing the radio thing. I did a proto-podcast, basically, in um, 1990, I believe, called Train Crap and Blood. We did it in Peter's basement, and it was really like a podcast, but in 1990. And in 91, we did a video series called Bublin A. Richardson, or 1991. And then most of the 90s, it was just I was just doing Obliviana, which was more uh, like a text easing on the Internet. Because the technology wasn't really there for doing radio online yet. And somehow I wasn't really, I don't know why I never pursued going on the radio, but I was in a state of mind back then. I was in a strange state of mind back then. Um, the 209 thing, I was very obsessed with 209. I thought it was a system that could, it, it was almost like I was i was sort of starting a cult. I don't think I, it ever would have worked because I would make a piss poor cult leader. But um, it's just a very strange time for me. And because uh, I thought the number 209 could help alter reality to have cool adventures. It's a whole thing. Um, but I still had my love of radio. So um, starting in 1999, I created a new project. It was called BluffCosm.com. I loved the term BluffCosm. So on November 19th, 1999, I created a website for BluffCosm.com. And uh, it was the last odd day, you know. It was it was November nineteenth, nineteen ninety nine. Every digit in the date is is an odd number. The next time that would happen is January first, thirty one eleven, right? Considering that we know zero, we don't know if it's even. We don't know if it's even, but we know it's not odd. <laughs> zero is not odd. 
You might make a case that it's an even number, but it's not an odd number. Anyway, a few months later, in March of 2000, I decided to turn Bluff Cosm into an internet radio station, an internet radio project, because back then, uh, if you got a website, you might, they may have given you like 10 megabytes of storage, and any more you'd have to pay for. Meanwhile, these MP3 files are rather large, right? Even for a short audio clip, it could eat up most of that 10 megabytes. And I think, yeah, even, even by the time I started the Overnight Scape, I only had like 20 megabytes on the site. So anyway, um, give me a second here. <coughs> so I started it off uh, in March of 2000. And so Bluff Cosm, it was on a site called mp3.com that would allow you to host something like 10 mp3 files for free. And uh, so I started putting some of my old audio up and then me and Peter, he's also in the Three Weasels. And at that point, I had kind of lost touch with Brian. Um, and at one point, I forget what it was, I found out Brian was living in my same town or right next to, like he was living like a mile away from me. Uh, and, and we got together. It was so weird. I mean... All of our lives are sort of intertwined, and we're still the three weasels, as you heard two episodes ago. Anyway, so this is sort of leading up to the creation of the Overnightscape. So BluffCosm.com, um, it was more based on uh, what I call bluff tunes, like short audio pieces that you could listen to over and over again. But we had a few shows. We continued doing the, uh, we did addition, additional train crap and blood episodes, which sort of morphed into um, the Motor Excursion Ruffians. And, uh, hold on one second. <laughs> Sorry I keep doing this, but it's, it, I, I'm, used to, I'm used to being able to pause and get my thoughts together. But I'm doing this in real time, damn it. Yes. So, then we had 9-11, right? That whole thing. That was a big bummer. And then 2002 was just kind of a, like a crummy year, right? It was after 9-11, but um, around 2000, I believe, or 2001, I became aware of G Gene Shepard, the radio host who was on New York Radio who did a monologue show from the mid-50s to the mid-70s. And he had a lot of adoring fans who would record his show. And so several thousand episodes out of tens of thousands that he broadcast were preserved. And uh, there was a website where you can get these shows. And I, um, I had like, you know, set like, a, like a thousand or two of these episodes that were like in a 45 minutes to an hour each. And I had one of the early MP3 players. I think I had the Intel Pocket Concert 128 megabyte uh, MP3 player. So I spent about a year or two listening to every single available Gene Shepard episode day in, day out, on my commute, all the time. I was completely entranced, completely, it, it changed my life. So f around 2002, um, I think because I was so interested in Gene Shepard and what he was doing, and I did want to continue Bluff Cosm in different directions, I wanted to get that radio sound, the sound you hear when someone's on the radio. You know, It just sounds better than if you're talking into an old tape recorder. And I found out it's because you need a good microphone, you need a good good dynamics, right? You need a mixer. So I bought all this stuff around two. It was about a year before, uh, in the in the, the sort of around March of two thousand two, I bought this mixer, 
the Jomi uh, MQ3 channel strip, which is a very good channel strip, right? Just it gives you that little bit of extra uh, audio quality. And I don't, I don't know if I have it set the same way I had it set back then, but <laughs> it's okay. It's working fine now. Um, and the, the, I like the microphone. It just looks cool. And I, and I researched it. It's, it's kind of in the same vein as an SM58. It's a, dyna it's a dynamic microphone, but for what I'm doing, I think a, a dynamic mic is fine. You know. Anyway, I had all this equipment, and uh, I was listening to Gene Shepard, but I didn't really do much with the equipment. So this all leads up to 20 years ago today. I was at work. I think I was working at Scholastic Books. It was towards the end of my tenure there because I did get laid off. Some, as I got caught up in the first layoffs the company ever had. See, it's just my luck. The first layoffs they ever had to do as a company. Um, but I think I was still working there in March. And uh, so I had my Palm Pilot and I wrote... and. Let me refer to the book here, the Ansug book, because this will this will give you the exact information. Yes. Excuse me. Let me get to the right page on the Ansug book. Yeah. Yeah. Thursday, March thirteenth, two thousand three. I was on my way home from work in New York City, riding the PATH train back to New Jersey. Here's exactly what I wrote on my Palm Pilot: three thirteen oh three, six fifty four p.m. Non-meta half-hour talk show, just me. 3.13.03, 7.03 p.m. The Overnightscape Night Scans. So, uh, you know when you're on the train and you think of an idea, you jot something down. Little did I know that this was going to change my life. Um, so the first thing I wrote down, non-meta half-hour talk show, just me. So, just me is a monologue because before that I was I, when I did shows I wanted to talk to someone like most people do so I had my co-host as Peter but having listened to Gene Shepard so much it's I sort of dawned on me I sort of absorbed the um, the monologue the art of the monologue right I felt I could do it and there's so many advantages to doing a monologue you can do it on your own time you don't have to work around other people's schedules, and it's a much more intimate format. Your connection to the audience is much stronger, as I experienced as an audience member for Gene Shepard, even though it was many years later. Um, he just died in 99, but, uh, I, th I think. But anyway, I was knew what it was like to be in the audience listening to someone talking like that, so I, I just absorbed it, right? So I wrote this down. Now, it's interesting. I wrote non- Meta. So I think I was thinking about a show that doesn't talk about itself very much. On that aspect, that did not that did not become part of the Overnightscape. The Overnightscape is very meta. Very meta indeed. But yeah, so then um, nine minutes later, I write The Overnightscape and Night Scans as two possible names. And uh, <clears throat> I just remember listening to various radio shows. The radio people would talk about doing overnights. Overnights was like a you know, when you're doing a radio show in the middle of the night, it's overnight. So instead of a landscape, it's the overnightscape, right? Night scans, yeah. I did do a show called Night Scans just to use the name at one point, but that never really got going. So it was a Thursday night, and Thursday nights were my wife Denise's bowling night. So she would be out, and I would be home alone. I had this equipment. So I, at 9.55 p.m., 
I, I think I, I think I spent a lot of time researching that, right? I did the first episodes. Right now it's only 8.07, so we're not there yet. But let us take a listen to the very dawn of the overnightscape. 20 years ago today, we're going to hear the first few minutes of the episode I did. Just give me one second here. I was going to try and wait till 9.55 to play this part, but yeah, I don't think that's going to work out. That's uh, two hours from now. So yeah, anyway, let's check this out. This is, right, I got home, I got set up, I got prepared. So it's, it always really, it's confusing and weird and amazing that I came up with the idea and three hours later I started the show, right? It was, there was, between coming up with the, the idea coming up with a name, and then doing the first test episode uh, within hours, right? And it, and it was a life-changing experience. So here we go. Hopefully this works. What channel are we on here? Ooh, what was that? What, what is it playing? We have a captive audience here. They, they, they have to walk past us. What is this? Oh, okay. Frank at the Apple Store Fifth Avenue opening. Okay, that's, yeah, that's not what we want. Okay, we want this one. Here we go. 20 years ago today, this is the beginning. This is what I started recording. Well, here are the first few minutes here. I felt, you know, and I felt like it wasn't, this episode wasn't really ready for release, so that's why it's considered a test episode. Here we go. It's just, I'm going to fade myself down. We're going to listen to me from 20 years ago. Hey, good evening. This is Frank Edward Nora, and this is the Sorry. Nightscape on BluffCosm.com. How are you all doing out there? This is a uh, test of the uh, Overnightscape, and I uh, have my audio set up here. So I'll tell you, there's a lot of uh, funny stuff going on in the news these days. Hold on one second. Hold on. There's music, uh, thanks to the Mad Player. Okay. See what else I can find on here. Some good background music. Hold on, hold on one second, cause uh, let me just do this. Ah, why is it doing that? I have I. Sorry. The volume was too low. Now the volume's too high. Technical disasters. All right, here we go. Let me get back to get back to me here. Something's never changed. All these technical problems. Maybe this might be good. Uh, nice little background music here. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, crazy stuff going on in the news these days. Uh, of course, this big war with Iraq is uh, one of the big things going on today. <coughs> it's... Uh, well, I think one of the things that's, that's been happening is... Uh, you know, at first I was kind of, you know, I was definitely against the idea. I think it's probably a bad idea. But as we keep going more and more on and on, um, I just am just saying, like, you know, get over, get it over with already, you know. Um, getting kind of uh, tired of it. <laughs> this is an experimental uh, piece right now. This uh, is not going to be aired. 
trying to see how my uh, setup works and how everything's working out. Um, So just the other day I went to get my uh, Jeep inspected. Now first of all I uh, went to the car dealer uh, because there was this recall of uh, the safety brake or something and I went there and uh, you know it was supposed to be a free repair so I go there and of course they come out with this huge list of things wrong with the Jeep. Like the Jeep is you know has all these things wrong with it. It's all screwed up you know. You gotta fix the serpentine build for 160, you need a complete engine overhaul, 376, and there's all these other things that I'm like, you know what, you know, just do the free thing for today. I, uh, I don't uh, think I need uh, this other stuff. <laughs> and he's even a little pissed off, but uh, it was alright. In the, in the waiting room there, they had a, a, TV, a, t a TV set with um, Direct TV, so I uh, I played around with it. I got Tech TV going, so it was like a little, little nerdy lounge in there, I'm watching Tech TV. Um, then I went and I got a haircut, the Bridgewater Commons Mall. Yeah, that was fun. I tried explaining, you know, well this is what happened in my previous haircuts that uh, didn't work out too well, and of course the same exact thing happened. You wind up looking like an idiot. <laughs> Um, so I went to uh, so I get, went to get my car inspected, and it was about you know you know I go through there. First of all, you get out right at the beginning, and you go into this little booth. <laughs> it's like almost like you're on a game show or something. It's like stay in the booth until uh, until you're called. <laughs> so you're in this little booth. There's a little air conditioner, a little heater in there. And uh, let's see what I can do about this. Uh, this high-end microphone uh, picks up the computer noise. <laughs> Isn't that great? Plus, there's all these great effects you can do. Like uh, here we go, Ooh, a little compression effect. Uh oh, here comes the mad song with a new 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 song. Wow, look at that. Yeah, that's cool. So yes, this is the Overnight Scape on BluffCosm.com. Coming to you all night long, and this is your pal Frank. You know, what can you say about the nighttime? There's definitely something cool about it. You, know, you can't deny it. There's something cool about the nighttime. It's dark. Everyone's sitting there asleep. <laughs> Everyone is asleep. You're just like hanging out and being cool, being uh, in the night. It's very, very cool. Can I just, like, hold on. This is going to make a terrible noise. But. Listen to the music while I do this. Yeah, I don't know if this, uh, okay, turn this down. <laughs> yeah, this is actually the first time I've, uh, I've set up the mad player, the microphone, and everything else. I'm now holding the microphone in my hand. 
I think it was last year that I decided to make some audio purchases and I got this uh, the Shure 55SH vintage looking microphones which uh, it looks like it looks like an old uh, radio microphone type thing and uh, I don't know if it's the best microphone I think it's probably pretty good and I got this uh, little Joe Meek MQ3 thingy here it's a microphone preamp and and stuff and uh, probably my mixer does the same thing this is supposed to be a little bit better plus it has compression and stuff which uh, I don't know if it's uh, you know I'll have to see if it's the kind of thing that would make sense to use because it kind of you can go real loud and it won't <laughs> aye, aye, aye. so I don't know if that's uh, you know completely necessary but it might add a little something to it but I gotta look at the uh, probably the attack should be slower, right? A little bit. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I need to have this on or not. Definitely makes things sound a little bit weird. So I'm gonna turn it off for now. Yeah, how's this? Well, see, this is uh, there's only different settings. A lot of different settings. A lot of different settings. Yes. So, uh... See, the thing about this Mad Player is that you can, uh... All the songs that come on, you gotta hit this little button to make sure that you don't, like, lose the song forever. <laughs> it's kind of, kind of like a mind game going on. So... Anyway... recording on the computer now. Perhaps I will put this on my mp3 player and listen to it. Now this, I don't even know if you can hear me. This is on the side. This is in the front side. Top, 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 top. Definitely a certain place to speak. <laughs> what do I know about high-end audio, okay? I don't know anything about high-end audio. What if I turn this monitor on? Ooh, you could hear that. I don't know anything about high-end audio. Well, I know something about it, but I'm uh, definitely out of my element. And, uh... I'm a little bit, uh, you know, overwhelmed with all these XLR cables and all this other wacky stuff. Ooh, listen to this. It's nice. It's good tunes. Yeah, I really, uh, that's what I like so much about the Mad Player. I just, you know, you can, I can have music now on bluffcosm.com. Music. That's not copyrighted. So, uh, stories, telling stories, having personality. <laughs> Gotta get used to this whole, uh, this whole deal here. Um, <laughs> no. Here, listen to some music. Hey, back 20 years later now. All sorts of technical issues. See, I prefer not to have the music bed, but I guess I could, I guess I, for all time's sake, I could have a little, I don't know, I think it's better without the music bed, right? Um, yeah, so that is the very beginning 
and you heard me uh, take take the microphone off the stand and just hold it in my hand. That's how I did it forevermore. And it was funny. There's there was a uh, a woman that was on the radio. I forget who it was. She she used to be on. There was like a liberal uh, talk radio network at one point. What was her name? And I saw her on TV, and she was doing the same thing, holding the microphone in her hand rather than having it on a boom or something. Um, yeah, this is just the way I would always do it, you know. Um, anyway, that's the very beginning, and it was just starting off. And, I, you know, as I thought it was, I didn't think it was good, but I don't know. I think listening to it now, it sounds pretty good, if I do say so myself. Uh, it's, it's wild to think that's 20 years ago. That is completely insane. Um, but that is the very beginning. And uh, so the next week, I did the same thing. On Thursday night, because I had the house to myself, my wife was at bowling, I did another episode. It also was not quite up to snuff, as they say. So I uh, I made it, you know, I didn't release it. And finally, uh, on the 27th, I did an episode that I deemed worthy, and I released it. That was the origin. So that's why I'm doing a three-week 20th anniversary celebration because I'm following the same cadence as the original releases. Um, so now what I want to do is uh, play you some random clips from the first 10 years of the Overnightscape. I'm, I'm using the middle six method. right? The middle six method is this idea that you take the middle six minutes of any piece of audio. What's going on here? Uh, and so the idea I came up with a few years ago, and I've used it for the other side and stuff. The idea is that anything, any piece of audio, uh, the audio of a movie, a radio show, anything, you just identify the middle six minutes. So that is you find the midpoint of the audio, and then you rewind three minutes, and then you take uh, six minutes. So it's exactly in the middle, middle six Um which is definitely kind of feels like the word Middlesex, like Middlesex County, New Jersey. So the Middlesex method is how I, I chose these. Is, is how I, yeah. So I chose them using uh, a random number generator called random.org, which generates random numbers using atmospheric static. So it is completely random. So my method was I got my list of all the shows. I divided it by year. And I drew a random number to select a random episode of the Overnightscape uh, from each year. And then I middle sixed them. And of course, there is one year where there were no shows called the Overnightscape. That year is 2010. And so I, I uh, did random of all the shows I did then, known as the Frank Norris show. There's been a lot of twists and turns and ups and downs in the past 20 years. And the first 10 years were probably the most chaotic because... Uh, the chaos started in like 2008, 2009, and 2010 were the most chaotic years. And we'll get to those years um, with our middle sixes. So we have 10 six-minute pieces to get to. Um, so the first, I would say the first um, year of the Overnightscape, I was pretty much uh, doing this show uh, each week, usually like an hour-long episode. I believe it was an hour long. I think I experimented with 45 minutes, etc., Early on in the Overnightscape, it almost got derailed because I, w I was uh, involved in this uh, internet radio station called No Holds Barred Radio from Fords, New Jersey. 
Ford's is kind of down by those malls, Menlo Park and Woodbridge Center Mall in that area. And I was going to do a show on their network uh, called Violent Plaza. And I would have been known as Frank 209. And my sister was going to be on the show as well. And at the very last minute, they, they canceled my show because they said they promised the slot to someone else. And at, by that point, I didn't pursue that anymore. Um, luckily, we got past that that one. And uh, this is, of course, before podcasting. I don't know if you realize it, but podcasting didn't come about until late summer 2004, the following year. Though this is very much like a podcast, uh, there was no podcasting yet. This was like the Wild West. And I actually sought out all the other shows that were doing something similar to me, independent spoken audio content. And I made my own uh, webpage called, um, it was first called my Internet Audio Links. And then I eventually, I called it, you know, I called it Jalopy Radio, Jalopio, and then eventually NewTimeRadio.com, which is still up. And as of, until fairly recently, people still sent me their show to be listed on <laughs> my directory. And I, it says on the top, like, I stopped adding podcasts in like 2004 or something, or 2005, so. Anyway, this was, this was an early time. This was sort of like the proto-podcast age. So let's check out. So th- this, is, this is the main event here. We're going to check out audio clips, if I can find this thing here. Come on, don't tell me. Yes, here it is. Okay. Hello. Hold on. Is this going? Of course. Hold on a second. This is this it? Yeah. Hold on. I I I am just completely. I don't know what I'm looking at here. Yeah, we're pretty mellow here. Little too hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I, where the heck is iTunes? I'm using this Toshiba computer that is really on its last legs. It took it about 45 minutes to boot up today. It's just ponderous. No, that's not what I wanted to hear this one, right? We all would like to discuss. How about some hard house? (laughs) Sorry. No, stop. Sorry, I'm having trouble here. Stop. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna go to our first clip, six minute clip, and this is why can't I find it? I'm sorry. This computer is pretty, pretty shot. All right, we're gonna go back to the overnightscape number thirty four, from October thirtieth, two thousand three. Again, these are chosen completely at random from each year, and then we're listening to the middle six minutes. All right. Here we go. The Overnight Escape 34. Our first sample episode. Go. Go. No. I can't get it to work. We all would like to discuss a topic that I think is is worthy of a, a serious music in the background. It's. I'd like to talk to you about the five-minute shit. <laughs> this is the... This is the the theme song of the five-minute shit right here. The five-minute shit. The five-minute shit. So the uh, the five-minute shit. This is the this is the theory. Okay, 
um, this place where I'm working temporarily, freelancing, whatever you want to say, uh, I guess, you know, they're, they installed an econo- ecologically sensitive uh, system to save electricity. What they have is a motion detector attached to some uh, light switch type thing. So, like when you go in the bathroom, let's say, and they have it in other rooms, but you go in the bathroom and it, the motion detector turns the lights on. And I'm like, oh, that's a good idea, you know. You know, you know, whatever. So, uh, you know, in the morning, you know, you go and you need to take a shit, you know. So you go in the toilet. So I was there on the toilet, you know, and, um, you know, sitting there and kind of in the morning, you know, just got to work. It's like real early and I got there on time. Yeah, you know. So, uh, you know, playing game on my Palm, my Palm Pilot there. And, uh, you know, the time is sort of slipping away and playing the game. And <laughs> um, and uh, like five minutes later, the lights go out. <laughs> it's like pitch black, except for the light of my Palm Pilot, of course. It's pitch black in this place. I'm like, holy shit. They only give you five minutes to take a shit. <laughs> this place and then the lights go out it was like terrible i it was like i don't even get it so you're only allowed a five minute shit and then the lights go out it was like insane (laughs) so i like i'm like should i should i leave the light of my palm pilot on but then you know you have to take care of your finishing things up and you know wiping and stuff and like you really kind of so i I basically you know I, i took you know put the palm pilot away and Kind of did all that stuff in the dark. It wasn't really that hard. And uh, then when I got out of the stall, the motion detector eventually picked me up and turned the lights back on. So anyway, that is the the theory of the five minute shit. And uh, I think it's uh, I don't I don't agree with that. I think uh, you know I don't think that that's a good uh, time limit. So, uh, the finale of the Joe Schmo show was on the other night, and, uh, I, I, and I was like, since I have to go to bed so early, in fact, I'm even past my bedtime right now, getting up at 6 a.m., it's ridiculous. Well, 6.15. It's gonna, I know it's slowly gonna start creeping towards, you know, I'm gonna get right up to the edge where I can just sort of wake up and then kind of almost get the bus, and, you know, but I'm trying to be good still, and, uh, so, uh, so I had to record it, and, uh. The Joe Schmo Show, which actually was a pretty... I thought it was a pretty good show. It was on Spike TV. That is the new TV network for men. Uh, this is a channel which began as a, the Nashville Network. That was uh, TNN, the Nashville Network. That was like a country music station. And uh, I always kind of... was. It always kind of bothered me about the Nashville Network that it was called TNN. I don't know why it bothered me, but like the... Like the word the... Like, is that supposed to be in the acronym? Like, the Nashville? Shouldn't it have just been, like, NN? Like, what are the things of the? Like, the CIA is just... Well, that's not... A, you know, the Central Intelligence Agency is not TCIA. It's just CIA, or the FBI. The Federal Bureau of Investigation It's not TFBI. It's just FBI. So it's like, the National Network is TNN. Like, you know what I'm saying? It, it, it always kind of bothered me. And then uh, some other company bought it. And it became the National Network, TNN. 
I think that's what they were. They just, they just called it TNN. It didn't really stand for anything anymore. And they started doing, you know, they showed uh, Star Trek. They showed Star Trek every night, The Next Generation, which is pretty good, you know. Then uh, they decided to change it to Spike TV. So it's like this Viacom, the same group that does MTV and uh, VH1 and all that. So Spike TV is the network for men because I guess men like spikes and stuff like nails and spikes and things like that. It's like fighting and like spiked weapons and Spike is a dog and I don't know. So anything Spike TV is was the name of this thing. Then there was this whole controversy a few months ago where Spike Lee, the filmmaker, sued them because his name is Spike and the TV's name is Spike TV. And he's like, people will be confused. You know, you're going to think it's my TV station. No, we're not going to think it's his. Get out of here. People are not stupid. They know it's not his TV station. Get out of here. The freaking guy. So they, they settled it, and finally they named it Spike TV. So the Joe Schmo show is actually actually a very, I think, a very good idea for a show because uh, it really touches on a lot of interesting things. Like, the, you know, the uh, the whole thing with The Matrix where you, people are you're living in an unreal world or a move, that movie with Jim Carrey. A topic that I think is, is worthy of a serious music. Hello, hello, sorry. I have to figure out how I to, talk to you about stop the five this. Minutes. Stop, 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 stop. Sorry. Yes. I'll, I'll get this figured out eventually, I'm telling you. So there you go. There's a clip from uh, from uh, 2003. That was a great clip. Really? Of every clip, the five-minute shit, are you serious? Of any clip that, that, that... Oh, come on. Of any clip there could be, the randomness chose the five-minute shit. That still happens at the place I work now. You know, so you, you, you're on the toilet, then it just becomes pitch black. You just got to deal with it, you know? It's to save energy. Um, wow, that was quite, a, that was quite, a, the, quite the episode, uh, quite the clip to play. But what I'm interested in is, what is this Joe Schmo show? I don't remember this in the least. I was hoping the clip would keep going, but it's only six minutes long. What was that show? I said it was like The Matrix. Remember Spike TV? Listen, this is 20 years ago. This is 2003. There's a lot of other stuff. I have to look up the Joe Schmo show because I, I, I just... It, I mean, it kind of rings a bell, but this is the thing. When I listen to those episodes from back then, I don't remember half the things that I was talking about. The Joe Schmo Show. Let's see. Okay. Uh, it was on from 2003 to 2004. And then it was on again in 2013. Let me just read. Uh, the Joe Schmo Show is a reality television hoax show created by Paul Wernick and Rhett Reese. The series was broadcast in the U.S. on the cable network Spike. The show's premise is that a target person or people are led to believe they are contestants on a reality television show. In reality, all of the other participants on the purported show, including the host, are actors, and their actions and the outcome of the purported show are all scripted in an attempt to elicit comedic reactions from the targets. Huh. I, Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't remember this. But it sounds like a very cruel show where, where the people don't know that they're they're being they're the one person. They're the Joe Schmo. They're the one person that's like it's almost like that no soap radio joke, right? It's kind of cruel. It's not nice. Joe Schmo Joe. See, all of these cultural treasures that even I have forgotten are all here in the overnight scape, yes. So anyway, then we get to two thousand four. 
And the show was continuing pretty much the same way until I found out about podcasting. And uh, that was around October. I think on October 4th, there was an article in Wired Magazine about it. And I jumped on board and started the podcast as a, with an RSS feed because the show has already been going for a year and a half. Um, I actually picked up uh, Bob from Static Radio. His, he, he had an RSS feed. So back then, it was a text file that I would hand edit and then upload to my server. The RSS feed was hand edited for the po- purpose of doing the podcast. Um, the, the random clip from 2004 that I drew is from right before that. This is the Overnightscape number 80 from September 6th, 2004. And I have not previewed any of these, so I don't know what this is going to be, but we'll check this out. Here is the 2004 clip. The entire Apollo vehicle had 13 to 64, not sure which, kilobytes of RAM, so I doubt they were playing MP3s. Five days of audio would take an awfully big reel-to-reel. But all of this is immaterial because during the missions, the astronauts responded to events that could not have been predicted, final scores of sports events, births, weather, etc. Also, in missions after Apollo 2, there were instances when amateurs had dialogue with foreign radio stations, members of the press, amateur radio operators, and rooms full of grade schoolers. All Apollo communication were monitored by Russians and never saw a delay problem. So, in summation, the Apollo spacecraft went to the moon and and returned, and two, there were real-life men in that spacecraft. Now, did the astronauts really get out of their landing craft and walk around, film stuff, play golf? Shit, man, I have no idea. I never watched the film, so I can't speculate. All right, so Simon, I appreciate that. Now, my theory, of course, was that being that sending a man to the moon and bringing them back was so dangerous at the time that I believe they decided to fake it in order to guarantee the mission would be a success. Now, with the information, Simon, that that you've given me, that independent people uh, watched this and measured it and everything else, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm not sure how to sort of respond to it. Uh, I still certainly doubt that it happened. I think that the Russians were uh, probably didn't know that it didn't happen, but it was in their interest to, if they had said that we didn't do it, it the, there would be pressure on them to do it, to go to the moon. So I think everyone kept quiet about it. But the thing about the transponders and everything, very interesting, and I would like to see more data about that because I, w- I would really like for the Apollo missions to have been real. I'm not really a big fan of... I I, I loved it when I was growing up. I loved space. I loved everything like that. And I'm not thrilled at the idea that it didn't happen. But at the same time, I I, I really doubt it. But if it really did happen, I would be very, very happy. So, there you go. I want to thank Simon from Nevada for that email. Bringing up some very interesting points. Always open to new information. Don't want to be closed-minded like so many other people out there. So anyway, this is the end of our first hour of the Overnightscape, number 80. And I'll be back in a few minutes with some more great stuff, including uh, some more reviews of Japanese products, more listener email, uh, talking about some of the great spills, my teaching job this week, and drumming. We're going to be talking about drumming, and perhaps a few more... Something about an old dollar bill and Times Square and flea markets and who knows if I'm going to get to all this stuff. And, of course, the cinema rides. I can never get to the whole cinema ride topic. Coming up in the next hour.
welcome to hour two of the Overnight Scape, number 80. Yeah, a lot of great stuff coming up in this hour. Uh-oh, looks like my, my player is running out of batteries. Am I going to have to uh, change it? I don't know. So what I want to talk about is, you know, if you've been listening to the Overnight Scape, the Overnight Scape for a while, you know that I've been uh, playing songs from this band called Fuzzy Doppner. Now, this is a band that I was involved with. I wrote lyrics, I produced it, I was involved in songwriting and everything else. And it's a band that just did not make it. It was never signed and sort of faded away into oblivion. And uh, pretty much only on this show have I been trying to, you know, play the songs and talk about it and bring it back to life because there's so much, so many bands out there that have created great music and then they just never got signed and never got famous and never just disappeared. So, uh... So I, I was looking at my list of songs. How many songs have I actually... I was trying to figure out how many songs I've actually played on the Overnight Scape of Fuzzy Doffner. And it looks like I've played 23 different songs uh, from, uh, from Fuzzy Doffner over the past couple years on the Overnight Scape. But there's still quite a few left and uh, to play. Uh, but it was interesting because I, I was thinking about the songwriting process that we used in the band. Uh, a, lot, a lot of the lyrics I wrote. Now, I wrote the lyrics, I wrote complete sets of lyrics before there was any music. Now, I know I found out that this is a very, uh, very abnormal way of, of writing music. Usually, music comes first and then lyrics. So, but this was a way, it was, and it was definitely not an easy process, but I think in the end, we had some great songs and things that I've played in the past, like Possible Calhoun and the Mexican Hovercraft, and recently I played uh, Crazy Planto. Very interesting songs with uh, the lyrics that I had written. So, when the band broke up back in uh, the fall of 2001, there had, there, I, I had three sets of lyrics that never, ever got made into songs. And I wanted to, I, I figured I would sort of read the, read the lyrics to you, sort of as a, as a performance of, uh, of what the song may have been. And uh, just, just to let you know, I think the lyrics were really good. I'm going to read one of them today. This is a song... This, it just, this should be interesting because this was this would have been a song if the band had continued on, but since the band broke up, it's sort of again it's 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 forgotten. It's nothing. It's in the world of oblivion. But I'm going to read it here to bring it back. And who knows? Maybe someday someone will make a song out of these lyrics. Who knows? So what should I do about a musical accompaniment? Do I have anything? Something a little bit more appropriate for it? Let me see if I can find something. Maybe just maybe just silent. I have no music background. So this song is called... Hey. Wow, that's a great clip from 2004. Wow, a lot going on in that clip. As you can, as you can hear, we actually heard the actual midpoint of the show. I don't know how, how long I did that, saying welcome to hour two. But because it's the, uh, the middle six, the middle six minutes. So yeah, that was an email. I was reading an email from Simon from Nevada, who was just on the exit ramp last month, and he's still involved. Simon is wow. He was he was there for the real early days. It's great that some people stuck with me. There were so many listeners that that would write in, and we had this message board, this forum. It was this whole culture, and as all the events that happened and transpired over the years, I think I sort of lost a lot of those listeners or they moved on in life. I wonder if they ever search for the Overnight Escape to see if it's going. There were a lot of listeners back then. Um, so, of course, the topic was uh, one of my favorite conspiracy theories or topics is the uh, the Apollo moon mission hoax 
So I guess Simon had sent me some information that was trying to sort of show, no, they really went, you know, and uh, as I said, I'm open to all that information. I still talk about it to this day. It's a very interesting topic. People still think they went to the moon, and maybe they did. I don't know. Uh, I also mentioned this teaching job, which I, I, if you had asked me when that was, I would have, I would have said like '98. I don't know, but I did teach a class about fonts once. It was so nerve wracking. I think that's the one I was talking about. I was filling in for this guy I worked with. It was kind of like my my supervisor, and then also talking about Fuzzy Doctor and those Fuzzy Doctor lyrics. In fact. At one point, Jimbo, many years later, he did some song. Hello, 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 hello. Man, this is on a, like a hair trigger, this, uh, sorry. This thing is on like a hair trigger, this, um, the quarter-inch cables on the back of that MQ, MQ3. Anyway, yeah, um, I had those three sets of lyrics, which, which I've recited many times, and you can find them in the Onslaught book. Um, Jimbo did some songs based on those those lost lyrics, so you can check that out in the archive. But that was 2004, so that was uh, September 6th. So I, interestingly, at this point, podcasting had begun, barely, but I hadn't heard of it yet, right? So uh, around October, early October, I started with the RSS feed and signed on to the podcasting world, and I think around. November, I was contacted by, this was the greatest press relations moment in the Overnightscape history. I was at work, and someone called me from England wanting to interview me because, or it was an email, and then I, I gave them my phone number, I think. Um, they were working for the Times of London, kind of like the British equivalent of the New York Times, and they wanted to do a report on podcasting, and they heard about my show. At that point, I was one of, if I had to guess, the, one of the first 30 or 40 podcasters out there. So it was a full-page article in the the Weekend magazine for the Times of, of London, and that was like my shining moment in the press. And I had I've had other articles written about the show, but that was probably the the biggest one. You know, and I think that I was very excited about the world of podcasting, and I'm like, here is finally my chance to uh, to make it. And uh, you know, I feel like the way that I've made it 20 years later with this incredible archive and all the shows that I've done, to me, this is making it. Though I'm not famous, I'm not making money at it, there is this archive that is just unbelievable. And I never would have... This all just happened as a sequence of events. But I was always thinking that maybe I can become like a mainstream success with this stuff. So, starting in 2005... I made the show a daily sh a daily half-hour show as the world of podcasting really kicked into high gear. And um, hold on one second. Yes. So 2005 was a crazy year doing the show daily. I was doing it seven days a week at first, and, I, and then I did it. Uh, then I switched to five days a week. Um, and in, uh, in the fall, I went to the Podcast Expo in Ontario, California. It was such a wild scene. Everyone there, we felt we were on the ground floor of this groundbreaking uh, technology and this new medium. And, uh, you know, I was, at that time, uh, there was a site, Podcast Alley. 
that I was always like in the top 50 and top podcast alley. I was voting for myself a lot, and I encourage my listeners to vote. I was nominated for a podcast award at, at, at the Podcasting Expo in the general category. I, was, I, I never had a particular category. Um, these were very, very exciting times. So here is a show from uh, the Overnightscape 311 from October 24th, 2005. I have no idea what this is going to be, but we'll check this one out. See what you think as we visit the year 2005. That's what really pissed me off. Anyway, I just want to update that. That is his actual quote. I wrote it down right after I got the coffee. I didn't say nothing last week. I guess I I shouldn't let things bother me so much. But anyway, let's go to Flickr.com. As you know, last week, uh, Ross and Thomas from Philadelphia visited the Overnightscape Studios. And uh, Ross took some pictures. And he, you know, he sent the pictures to me, and I put them up on Flickr. So Flickr.com slash Overnightscape. Hold on. I should have opened all these websites before I started the show, but I, I was, like, uh, too disorganized to get things going here. Okay, here we go. Uh, I made a photo set that is loading now. Page not found. Overnightscape. What? Oh, slash photo. I'm sorry. Flickr.com slash photo slash Overnightscape. Okay, there we go. All right, now it's loading. There's a photo set called Ross and Thomas from Philly. And uh, there are the pictures that he took. And uh, what is there? (coughs) There's 10 pictures in here. A visit to the Overnightscape studio. There you see me and Thomas and Ross. And uh, there is Ross uh, sitting in front of the – actually, where I'm sitting right now, holding the microphone – and then you you get you get some sneak a sneak peek at some of the review products I have on my I have a table all the stuff I'm going to be reviewing and some stuff stays over there for a while because I never get to it and a few other various photos and plus a nice picture of uh, the the uh, the lighter that uh, Ross got me that is uh, that was taken a few days later by my wife and I'm there in the background smoking a pipe so so there you go so check, check out those pictures it's just quite interesting. had a big swig of iron brew i love this stuff anyway uh i would like to make an announcement here do we have any announcement announcement type music here for the uh the show yes coming up a major announcement on the overnight scape sounds like a very sinister announcement uh basically uh the announcement is i am going to the podcast expo uh, out in california this is the big uh podcasting uh convention or trade show i guess you'd call it and it is in Ontario, California, which is a uh, – it's either in Los Angeles or a suburb of Los Angeles. I know it's about 50 or 60 miles from Los An- LAX, Los Angeles International Airport. So it's in that area, somewhere around there. Ontario, California, it takes place on Friday, November 11th and Saturday, November 12th, 2005. And I really – I'm telling you, over the past couple of weeks, I have just been agonizing over the decision because I, I have to take some time off work. It's a lot of money. The flight, the hotel, everything. But I figure it would be it would be good to go out there. This is the first really big gathering of podcasters. Podcasting really is only about a year old. Uh, specifically, podcasting, of course, internet radio has been around for longer, but specifically, podcasting, about a year. And uh, so I thought it would be good to go. I'm going to be going with uh, James Donnelly of MadPod.com. So check out his show, MadPod.com. And uh, we're going to be flying out on JetBlue. <laughs> JetBlue. I've been hearing a lot about JetBlue. And they're the only airline that has a uh, a nonstop flight from 
from this the New York area to uh, an Ontario airport. It, it seems kind of weird. Every other flight had had a connecting flight. As far as I could find, that was the, the only nonstop flight. So I guess it's about a six hour flight. But unfortunately, I have to. I'm, I'm going to be leaving on the tenth. So like I'm, I'm out there and everything, and uh, on the day before. Uh, the, the plane leaves at like six something, six fifty a.m. or something, six thirty a.m. So I'm gonna have to like get up at like three a.m. three a.m. Uh, which in Los Angeles time that's like midnight. So I'm like gonna be waking up at midnight of the time of the place I'm gonna be going. Is that? I'm gonna be all mess. That's gonna be. I'm gonna be all messed up that weekend. But uh, my goal is to uh, do this trip out to the podcast expo. And of course, I'll be doing some recording out there. I'll bring my uh, Adderall recorder. My goal is to. Not disrupt the uh, the show. I, I'm going to continue. I, I, I'm, as I'm going there, I will release all the shows, five shows a week, as I normally do. That is my goal. It's going to be a bit a bit difficult, but I am going to uh, work real hard and make sure that I do not uh, miss, uh, you know, have a gap in the schedule just because of the podcast. That's why I think I could do it. I've been working it out. Uh, but it'll be interesting going back to Los Angeles. I've only been there once on my honeymoon. And, in fact, I have the exact dates. I was in Los Angeles for five days of my life so far, from November 21st to November 25th, 1997. I had, I had a great time out there, uh, you know, stayed at the Hyatt West Hollywood and, uh, you know, uh, went to all the things, the Universal Studios, the Disneyland. Uh, you know, the thing is, this Ontario, uh, this, you know, Ontario is very close. It's like maybe like a 45-minute drive, I think, to Disneyland, <laughs> And you know how much I love the Disney theme parks. So close yet so far because I'm just really – there's no way I'm going to have enough time to uh, to go to Disneyland. It's going to suck. I'm going to be like, shit, Disneyland is like <laughs> like 45 minutes away and yet I can't go. You know, like like you know, sort of well, – what's 45 minutes away from here? Like uh, I don't know, like New Brunswick, New Jersey is probably like 45 minutes from here. You know, I'll be somewhere where eh. The same distance of it's, it's Disneyland, <laughs> it's but uh, you know I, I, I that's I've only been to Disneyland once, and they didn't have that. Uh, you know what they added to Disneyland was that Disney's California Adventure. I've heard nothing but sort of negativity about that that second theme park. It just seems very like lame, very stupid. Uh, that they sort of like they only have room there for one more theme park, and they they built this California Adventure. I don't know. I've, it seems kind of a shame, but. Uh, Wow. All I have to say is wow. So much, so much going on in that clip from 2005. Yeah. Uh, Ross and Thomas from Philadelphia. I wonder what ever happened to those guys. I, I, I don't remember the last time I heard from Ross and his friend Thomas from Philadelphia who came to my house and they were on the Overnightscape in the, the, the Overnightscape Studio One, the very first one. Wow. And of course, Flickr. That Flickr site is still up, by the way. I think you can still see those pictures. Uh, it's still up. The Flickr.photos slash photos slash the Overnightscape. I remember Ross. I remember something about him. Um, Flickr. <laughs> what a great website. I was drinking Iron Brew. I have no place. I cannot find Iron Brew anywhere anymore. That's the uh, bright orange bubblegum flavored, <laughs> bubblegum orange flavored iron containing Scottish uh, drink, which is a great drink. Um, and I announced I'm going to the Podcast Expo with James Donnelly from Mad Pod. And uh, yeah, I, the, the, uh, I did actually wind up going to Disneyland. So I'm trying to think which, because I went there for two years in a row. I went there in 2005 and 2006 to the Podcast Expo. 
And I'm trying to think because one year I went to Disneyland with Becky and one year I went to D- Disneyland with Jerry who gave me that mad player. And um, I'm trying to remember which is which. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> See, you forget these things. I know I know that I went both years to Disneyland, but it, maybe it was uh, maybe it was Becky in 2005 and then J- Jerry in 2006. I know I could look this up, but... Anyway, that's an amazing clip. It really this the randomness really is choosing good good clips. The five minute shit not uh, not uh, listed uh, you know notwithstanding, um, yeah. So it was really exciting. It was a great time. The podcast expo was amazing. I I recorded a ton of stuff. Frank's podcast expo adventure, whatever. It's in the archive. Everything's in the archive. Uh, and then I continued doing the show daily into 2006. But uh, 2006, I would say, was a bit of a bummer because all the efforts I was making, I was busting my ass on the show, still working full-time, doing everything I could to promote the show, but just the numbers were not increasing. I think people were talking about 10,000 listeners as a threshold where you can start to make money and start to reach the next level. And I think I had several. I had several thousand listeners at one point, but never ever got close to that ten thousand barrier. And uh, when I went to the podcast expo in two thousand six, I had been doing this show with this guy Jim Donnelly. Uh, he had signed to this. Uh, what's his name? Adam Curry from MTV, and I actually ran into Adam Curry at the, I think the first one. And he like blew me off because I was going to tell him I I had encountered him at when I was an intern at MTV. I saw him in the hallway. Um, I don't ever have a good time with the big celebrities trying to meet them, even even at the at the VR Expo in 2014. Uh, Palmer Lucky was walking around and he skipped my demo. Wah wah. Listen, I think it's all for the best. I I I, I all things considered, I think things have turned out pretty well. Um. But yeah, 2006, I was at the Podcast Expo, and I realized I had not elevated myself to being a podcast star. Also, Jim Don, so I was doing a show with Jim Donnelly called um, Techie 2, and he was signed to Adam Curry's company, which I forget what it was called now. It just had some, eventually it was called Mevio, but it was called something else. I wasn't signed, but I was on a show that was signed to the network, so apparently they had like Adam Curry was kind of like a dick. He had like in in Second Life in that virtual universe he had Podcaster Castle and only the cool people were allowed in. And then at the Podcast Expo he had this uh, secret suite at some hotel. And I'm like, "Damn, I'm a shoo-in. I am a co-host of a show that's on his network, opodshow.com. Oh, I think that's what it was called." So I asked Jim about it. I'm like, hey, can you get me into the super secret suite? I'm sure it was a whole bunch of bullshit anyway. He's like, I'll see what I can do. I, I, I don't know. Even though it was on the show, I wasn't able to get into the secret place. Somehow that really pissed me off. I quit his show. And I, by the time I got home, this was a real sea change for me. I, I was so dis, disoriented, not disoriented, disenchanted, perhaps is the right word. Um that I stopped doing the show daily. I, I switched to a whatever schedule. I'll do the show whenever. Um, and that was sort of the end of me thinking that it might work out for me. I don't know what it was. I don't know why. 
my show uh, had, had sort of struggled uh, to sort of attain what like at that time it was like Dawn and Drew were like the big stars and Soccer Girl and stuff like that. Um, no, so I was kind. Of, I, I I never wanted to try to. I, I just wanted to do my show as I was doing my show. I never was trying to sort of chase any kind of uh, to please people. But it was a big change. So here we have episode five forty four. From September 14th, 2006. I don't know where this figures into the whole podcast expo, but let's check out this clip, shall we? Go. Play. No, it's a wrong clip. Here. Assumption, overbearing conceit. Arrogant bastard ale. This is an aggressive beer. You probably won't like it. It is quite doubtful that you have the taste or sophistication to be able to appreciate an ale of this quality and depth. We would suggest that you stick to safer and more familiar territory. Maybe something with a multi-million dollar ad campaign aimed at convincing you it's made in a little brewery or one that implies that their tasteless fizzy yellow beer will give you more sex appeal. Perhaps you think multi-million dollar ad campaigns make a beer taste better. Perhaps you're mouthing your words as you read this. (laughs) The brewery, located in North County, San Diego. We are a small, honest brewery with unrealistically high yet cantankerously unwavering standards. We concentrate on creating the most satisfying big character ales imaginable by using only the finest natural ingredients, and lots of them. It's an approach that leaves many bewildered, but it works for us arrogant bastards. And we're the only ones that are worth satisfying. Ingredients, nothing but the finest barley, most aggressive hops, clearest water, or proprietary yeast strain, and abundant arrogance. Questions or comments? If you don't like this beer, keep it to yourself. We don't want to hear any from any sniveling yellow beer-drinking wimps because this beer wasn't made for you. So there you go. That's actually some pretty, pretty good writing on there. A lot of products, of course, the writing that's on the packaging is kind of stupid, but that was actually pretty good. This better be good now after all this, uh, after all of their uh, arrogant behavior. Let me, uh, let me pour this out here. Ah, look at this. It's a very brownish. It's brown. The dark brown ale. <laughs> no, the head's coming up. It's coming up. Oh, okay. I, it, it almost went over the, the top of the uh, the glass here. has a nice, uh, like right now, the, the, the head is like three quarters of the glass. It uh, has to settle. Maybe I should have poured it more on the side of the glass. This is the first time I've ever tried trying Arrogant Bastard Ale. I think I tried something else by the the Stone Brewery. Like uh, something, I don't know. Should I, as I'm waiting for the, the head to settle down here, shall I uh, do some research on the overnightscape.com? That's possible. Let's go to the overnightscape.com. Where, of course, every single episode of the Overnightscape is available for you to listen to. Just as John from Casanova listened to all of them. And let me see if I can find the I did like one other beer from this place. Let's see. Stone 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 Little Wizard Girl, I remember that. Uh Stephen Stone's upcoming reality show, anything but Monday. Weird Stone Stereo. No, okay, I don't know. Stoner Cider, Milestone, Stone Alright, I don't know. Maybe I didn't. I I, I forget. <laughs> uh maybe IPA, India Pale Ale. Uh, um, too many words have IPA in them. Anticipating, municipal, and antipathy, <laughs> oviparous. What the hell? Forget it. All right, whatever. We have arrogant bastard ale. Let me try to drink some here. Here we go. Hmm, not bad. 
That's actually pretty good. It has like that that, that very kind of uh, I don't know what you say like that bitter hops type flavor. I'm not sure if that, I think that's what it, what it is. Let's see. It's actually quite good. I mean, it's a uh, it's a decent beer. I, I, I like that kind of bitter that bitter type of flavor from Arrogant Bastard Ale. I think I'm gonna wind up drinking this whole thing. It's actually pretty good. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it's not the best beer I've ever had. I mean, it's it, it, but it's okay. It's it's definitely good. I, I I don't see for for me, it's not like a taste that that that's particularly weird or offensive. It's it's just good. I don't know. But but you know what? There is a, a lovely nutty taste within the bitterness and the uh, the strength. So I would say it's, it, this is very good. Definitely something I, w- I would I would uh, get again, and uh, a really nice beer. So uh, and very cool graphics. I especially like the typography. Arrogant bastard ale. I don't know what font that is. That's a really good font though. So their graphics and their writing are good, and the beer itself is good too. So. I don't know what to say. It's great. Great. <laughs> Where's the music? No. There you go. <sighs> yes. That's good stuff. That really is. <coughs> it's pretty strong. They say the alcohol, 7.2% alcohol by volume. That's, quite, that's probably quite a bit compared to other, other, uh, other beers. So what else do I have? I have a lot of stuff here. Hold on a second. Oh yeah, I, I wanted to point something out. It happened on Friday's show when uh, my sister-in-law and my wife were in studio, and the phone rang. And this phone is just—it's a cordless phone, you know, uh, like like you have in your house. It's it's from the landline, and it has that green on button and the red off button, right? So, you know, on your cell phone, if someone's calling you, you can hit the red button and it cuts off the call. So. I got this one, and because we were doing the show, I, I didn't want to pick it up. I hit, I kept hitting the red button, and it wasn't doing anything. So my sister-in-law, Carrie, says, well, you, you can't do that with a regular phone, only with a cell phone. But that goes to show you how cell phone-oriented we're, we're becoming. I was trying to... Another very interesting clip there from 2006. I still seem very happy then. This is, this is before by disillusionment, right? Um... Yeah, reviewing Arrogant Bastard Ale, an IPA, you know, and I still love IPAs. That's like my favorite kind of beer. Um, you heard a little problem there with the right channel, the left channel, whatever. That was just the mixer. Everything's on a hair trigger here in 2023. And I mentioned I was trying to find something, Stephen Stone's reality show, Anything But Monday. I don't know whatever ever happened with that. I communicated with him a little bit. This guy created an, a girl group, kind of like the Spice Girls or whatever, and called them Anything But Monday, which was the same name as our magazine and our radio show. <laughs> I don't know what the heck ever happened with that. I wrote, I wrote him an email. He's like, well, you know, we just thought of the name ourselves. Great, not, great minds think alike. Do they really? Also, there's a phrase in there that, I, that I've used, not sort of consciously, but instead of saying that's good stuff, I say that's a good stuff. 
<laughs> I really like, I really love that that phrase. That's a good stuff. <laughs> it's a good stuff, not just good stuff. I don't know where that came from, but I like that one and the whole thing with the phone. But yeah, um, so that's 2006. This was probably before the expo and before I, my disillusionment. Uh, anyway, so I was so let's go to 2007. I was disillusioned, as I mentioned. 2007 is a is a is the big the beginnings of the chaos that that is coming up, which I think ultimately this period of time from 2007 through to 2010, um, where the overnightscape died and was reborn, uh, gave it a much greater strength and also created the group channel of the Overnightscape Underground, which did not exist back at this point. I was just doing this show. Um, something I didn't mention in 2004, right? You may notice at the first episode, that's, this is the Overnightscape on BluffCosm.com. So in 2004, I ended BluffCosm.com and the Overnightscape.com became the main project. BluffCosm was sort of discontinued and the Overnightscape was now the project. 2007 started with uh, me and Mad Mike of Anything But Monday starting a premium podcast, right? A podcast where we charge money for it. It's a huge project and we got some subscribers, but after eight episodes, it folded. So this was in spring. <laughs> Excuse me. Why am I hiccuping? I think I had too much uh, mezcal. Spring of 2007, I think those episodes we created are amazing, and Mike still listens to them over and over again. And I have still gotten together with Mike and do shows. I may actually next month or the next few months. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> great, great time to be hiccuping. Um, but anyway, that was a big kind of disaster because it did not end well. We were like, excuse me. We were, uh, it, it ended badly. <coughs> and I don't think we talked for like a couple of years after that. Then as the year wore on, um, I started what I called the secret project, which was, <laughs> excuse me, was the Overnightscape Underground. The origins of the Overnightscape Underground, the first Overnightscape Underground, because I felt like with the Overnightscape, there were certain expectations that people had of the way the show should be. And I wanted to have a space where I could just do anything. It didn't have to be, it could just be anything in audio. And that was the Overnightscape Underground, which of course grew to a group channel in 2009 and is still going to this day. Is an amazing, I would say almost like it's like a radio miracle, you know. And I don't know, and I've said this many times when I look back on this whole history, you know, considering my personality of starting creative projects and abandoning them and starting something else, which I know is fairly common for people that are creative, but you know, it's it's a very common thing. The fact that I've stuck with this, I have to imagine there's some kind of outside help. And you know, one of my theories that I talk about is that um, perhaps in the original timeline, yes, here we go with timelines, uh, I did the show for a few years and then gave it up. People in the future heard the show and really, really dug it. And then using their quantum technology, of course, everything's quantum in the future. They were able to reach back in time and manipulate my life so that I would continue the show. It's a bit of a far out theory, but just one of many theories about this. 
Um, so yeah, 2007 started with that Anything But Monday thing, then it the dawn of the Overnight Escape Underground towards the end. This is episode 637 from October 19th, 2007. We'll see what I have to say on this one. White. There, and the ingredients purified water, mint, and lemon essence. So. Very interesting taste. Um, I'm, I'm trying to work, work my way around this flavor here. There's a very, very kind of herbal mint flavor kind of rises up. And the, the the lemon is sort of, sort of subtle in the background. It's nice though, it's it, it's it's a nice flavor, but I'm I'm trying to really get the tones of it to see if I can really sort of I don't know. It it, it it's it's a nice flavor, but I'm not really I don't know. It's hard to describe that it's, you know, when you get to something like this, the, the, the gestalt or the overall sense of it, it tastes good, but I'm not really, something about the the way the flavors mingle, it tastes good, but I'm not sure, no, let me have another sip of it. No, you know what, I, I, I have to say this is quite, it's, it's definitely a good beverage. Um. Comparing it against what I feel like it could be, it, it, it there seems to be it a little bit apart from what I'm sort of thinking about. But comparing it to most other beverages, because I'm not into sugary beverages. I don't like sugar. This is very refreshing and very nice. So just it just this, it just, just like the other one, like the peppermint one, I, I feel like it's there, but there's something ugh, that's not 100% working. But I do like it, though. Uh, that's the lemon mint. Let's try the orange mint. And this, again... Same ingredients, same everything. This, But this is less cool. They're saying this is less cool. It's three degrees instead of four degrees. Let's see. Let's try this one out. Let's see how this... Ooh, wow. Getting a much different sense from this one. Hmm. Let's try this one out. Ooh, yeah. Yes, this this orange now flavor is doing something a little differently. Very subtle how the differences are in these things, but yes, I think it has to do with how the orange and the mint now are sort of merging together in in, in a very kind of playful way, and it's reminiscent of a lot of. And I, I think the way these flavors work, it's very interesting. It sort of evokes uh, flavors and experiences of the past. And this orange flavor is is evoking like like orange cream flavored candies and, cre- and orange cream sodas. Um, but there's that orange. But then there's almost a very earthy, herb, herbal or earthy flavor rising up in there as well. Slightly on the bitter side, but really nice. I have to say that the the orange mint to me is a whole level above the the lemon. 
And I really like this. Very unique flavor. And this is really working for me. It's it's something it, – it is a combination of flavors that does stimulate the mind, I would say. And it's fascinating. There's, there's, there's several different flavors overlapping in this orange mint water. Wow. That is really good. It's, it's, it's very – it's just like the other ones. The peppermint, not really working. But to me, the spearmint, awesome. The lemon mint, not really working. Orange mint, fantastic. I mean, this is – I, I, I mean, really, it's amazing. All right, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna drink all the rest of this orange mint. This is great, orange mint water. Very, it's very strange, right? How that works? I I don't know. Wow. About our product, it takes hard work to make something so simple. Wow. Frequently asked questions. Uh, he he he. Yeah, so a lot of information at MetroMint.com, but I'm telling you, I think of all of them, this orange mint is the most fascinating flavor. I really like it. I wonder, I, 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 again, it was at, it was at a uh, this King Supermarket, which is kind of a more of a high-end supermarket here in the U.S. Um, where can you get it? Store locator. Ooh, they're saying the peppermint is minus 9 is, is, the, is the temperature on that one. Let's see. he I'm, I'm going to see if we can find stores in this area that have it. How they're doing? It, it, it's very good, though. Very good. Ooh, Whole Foods. I never saw it at Whole Foods. I don't know. Kings, Shoprite. <laughs> Again, I don't know. I guess it's getting better uh, distribution now. So check it out. It's, it's quite good. Quite nice. And uh, because I, you know, sometimes when I review stuff. The, the, the manufacturer contacted me, and this, that's what happened recently. So uh, let me let me locate this, and I'll read it to you. All right, here it is. This, this is very cool. Back on the Overnight Escape number 628. Hey, back in 20, 2023 here. Yeah, that was a clip. I was reviewing Metro Mint Water, and I, rem- I remember that product, and it—, it it's now. I think I researched it within the past year. It's it's been discontinued for quite a while now. I remember I used to get it at a little store at uh, Penn Station, the train station in New York. But uh, yeah, it it, it kind of brings to mind that back then when I reviewed something, sometimes the manufacturer would contact me. Like I started talking about, it. I'm not sure what I was going to mention. Um, but it was kind of cool getting like free products from people, <laughs> even back then. Um. So yeah, that's just a classic like sort of review Metro Mint, and I think if people are in, are looking into certain histories such as beverage histories, the reviews I've done on my show really I think are going to figure into that. It's part of the the record of you know all the products and the ideas and the concepts and TV shows that existed in, the, in these times. It's pretty wild. So now let's go to two thousand eight. 2008 is uh, definitely a transitional year. Now, I will mention that I I, I don't know when it started, but uh, I remember meetup.com. There were uh, podcasting meetups that I would go to like every month. And I know New York was sort of late to get on get on board for some reason. Maybe it was 2006 with the meetups. But I would go to the meetups, and it was a really great subculture. It was something I really enjoyed being a part of. And that went on until about 2008, 2009, and then it all kind of faded away. Of course, as 
we know of the history of podcasting in 2012, the serial podcast about a murder investigation really brought uh, podcasting back in some ways. And then a whole new podcasting culture emerged that I was not as much a part of. Um, but 2008 started off with me uh, doing a project called In Ramble, and I recently did the complete In Ramble as, as a Tapeland video project. I wanted to sort of see if I could branch out into the video scene, right? And uh, you should check that out. I really enjoyed that project a month or two back. Uh, the complete In Ramble, it's available uh, on uh, Internet Archive and on YouTube. And uh, I was doing these quick video clips that were similar to this show, but walking around New York City. And uh, at this point, I was still doing this show in my home studio. Though this year is the year that the Rampler would start. And I would start recording the show on the streets of New York City. So 2008, very, very um, pivotal year. So the, uh, uh, this is the year when uh, a lot of the original day format, Overnightscape Underground, I did that. Um, I did the In Ramble project, but I was just disappointed in that uh, there was very little response. I had like almost no views on any of my videos, though I thought it was really good. It was not generating any interest. So eventually I kind of abandoned that project. But then there was a day, uh, 8808, which was when the Olympics started in China, I believe. August 8th, 2008, I was in Manhattan, and I was by this place uh, called Oceana Plaza. I call it that. And I went back there recently, too. And I had my little video camera, because back then I had my Palm Trio was my phone. And the video camera was piss poor. The first few episodes of In Ramble were done on that camera, and they were horrible. So I got this thing called the Flip Video Ultra, which was better than the phones at the time. But it was a little phone-sized camera. And uh, on that day, 8808, I was going to revive the In Ramble video project, but the device simply did not go on. I did every, I, I, It would not go on. It was dead. And I sort of took it as a sign that I should abandon the video side of things. Um, I did everything I could possibly do to... Um, Test it, but it did not work. Ah, here's Denise. I'm coming. Here's my wife, Denise. Hey, Denise. I don't We're... know what's more impressive huh? that I've loved Frank for these last 20 years, or you have, but thank you for loving him <laughs> and embracing him through this journey. I love you all for loving him, and I love him. Happy anniversary. Thank you, Denise. Mwah. Thanks for uh, this is yeah this is this day is the actual 20th anniversary when I first came up with it. Yes, it's been a long journey. It's been a hard journey for me, but it's been amazing for you to embrace all these people all around the world, and it's been a very special thing. And I know I know you know it's been special, and I wish more people knew how special it was, because Frank is truly a special person, and. I'm just glad you know him the way I love him and you all love him. Now, do you, do you remember it all, like that first day when I started the show? Like I, I, came, I, I came up with the idea coming home from work 
Did I tell you about it when you went to bowling? I and mean, this is 20 years ago. Yeah, I don't know if you're going to. Of course, of course. So you remember I said, oh, I'm going to try to do this new of thing. Co- Listen, how many new things you told me about? I know. I, I had a, so many different projects. Yeah, so of course I remember it. But yeah, you had many. I fell in love with you because you're a creative person. And, um, you know, I was hoping it would be more uh, lucrative, but it's not. <laughs> Well, I was I was talking about that how I thought it could have been more lucrative. But you know, yeah. I think I've dragged you along the way to to get us to the point where we've been. But um, and I wish, you know, I'm a creative person, but not as Frank needs to be a creative person, and um, I don't know if I need to be a creative person as much as him. But I mean, my job obviously makes me a creative person but i also would like to do my creative stuff on the side but frank definitely needs to be this creative person and the fact that you guys embraced it and um i've met so many of you along the way whether through waving through you through the zooms or um, people coming over to our house people coming to our house or meeting you along the way and um it's just it's extremely a special thing and i know only a few of us know how special it is and um 20 years is something to celebrate and i love you and i love all of you for loving him too thank you thanks denise all right i'm going back upstairs okay that's all i I got thanks for coming on the show and uh supporting the overnightscape all these years of course I'm still here. It's so strange. I think it's been 20 years of the overnightscape. Keys, say happy anniversary to I know. The, the, Mojo was going crazy before. He was meowing. I don't know what he was doing. Oh, well, he, he's not used to being Oh, can you give them food? Wet food? Wet food. Yeah. Thank you. So thanks, Denise, for coming on. And uh, Yeah, so 2008 does actually relate to some of these, these issues that she brought up, right? So I, uh, the video camera broke and I was feeling kind of down about the overnightscape, how it had not become lucrative, how it had not gained, a, you know, 10,000 listeners, whatever the magic number was. And, um, taking the video camera breaking as a sign, I decided to start a new project. Because around that time, I still was on the weekends spending a lot of time at home recording the shows. Time I perhaps should have been spending with my wife, Denise. So I decided I would start recording on the streets of New York City during my daily commute into New York City. Working in New York City, the digital recorders that I mentioned on one of those clips, the uh, the first one I had, the, the Roland or the Edderall R05, when I started the Overnightscape in 2003, I had a uh, cassette Walkman recorder. To record stuff on that, you would then need to digitize it into the computer and et cetera, et cetera. But the digital recorders recorded in MP3 format, directly to digital. So I had that one. So I started um, a show called The Rampler. Now, this is a point where, in hindsight, I probably should have just continued the overnightscape using this method. Why did I make it into um, the Rampler, right? But I did, and this was the beginning of uh, 
the most chaotic period in uh, in Overlandscape history. Uh, 2008, the Rampler started in August and took off quickly and sort of took on a life of its own, especially because it was the early days of Twitter as well. And very quickly, a guy on Twitter who was pretending to be Andy Kaufman, the comedian who died in 1984, he was pretending to be Andy Kaufman who faked his own death and got involved with that whole thing. And that led to the Andy Kaufman press conference in uh, was it November 2008. And I just did a, a tape land video of that as well. So I was doing the Overnightscape and the Overnightscape Underground, and I was doing the Rampler all at the same time. And uh, as we'll talk about, 2009 is when everything really went nuts. But let's see what we have from 2008. This is the Overnightscape 755. From November 13th, 2008, a very pivotal time. Let's see what I have to say here. I'll put together these videos. I, I totally support them taking the audio and sort of editing it and putting it online. Totally support that. I think it's really cool. But we're going to see now what they say about me. <laughs> okay? These are conspiracy videos about me. This one is called Andy Kaufman Press Conference 1 Audio. And, yeah, but uh, has he given any... This is my audio, proof? right? I mean, you could say you're anybody on blog. This is Jennifer Colehep. people do, and he's just using Andy Kaufman's notoriety to, you know, without any artistic value behind it, to, you know, gain notoriety yeah. on a blog. It just <laughs> seems a little... Well, I was asking him just tons and tons of questions. See, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, like, explain this stuff, and she just came in kind of negative, but she's really cool, though. Jennifer is very cool, so I don't have nothing negative to say about her. She was very cool. She, but she was she was skeptical and stuff. The whole point was people were expecting Andy Kaufman, who people think had been dead since 1984, to pop out. And he didn't. So that's the problem. People get a little upset. So here's the overlay. It says, uh, this lady is Jennifer Kolhep, uh, one of the members of the press. The man is the Rampler. Apparently, the Rampler is the host of the Andy Kaufman press conference, right? The most, uh, and this is quoting them, the most historic event ever will take place on Sunday morning, November 9th, 2008. After a quarter century of intense study, Andy Coffin will hold a press conference. Uh, what a crock of shit. <laughs> Who has the most to gain from this press conference? Steven Maddox? The Rampler? Twitter? I think... I, Who is getting the most promotion? So mean. Jennifer was like saying... is it, it's the, She thought this was like a promotion for Twitter or... She's like Stephen Maddox is a blogger who wants to get promotion, or she's like it's promoting the it's promoting the Rampler, you know. It may have been that it was. On. And I even said, look, this is nothing about. Obviously, if I get a few more listeners from this, great. But it's, I didn't set out to do this for promotion. I was asked to do this, and I agreed to do it. You know, asked to be the host. Let's see what else is written here, because it gets worse. Um, it seems to me like a lot of different. A lot is should be two words, by the way. A lot. Sorry, I'm just thinking about punctuation, like the. Uh, the unnecessary quotes. A lot is two words. Should be two words. It seems to me a lot of different people are getting promoted. It also seems like the Rampler has a lot to gain from this. I mean, for me, what do I have to gain from this? I mean, listen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, I, I like getting the promotion. I like getting new people in. But I don't believe I, I have something to gain from it. It's okay. I mean, in my motivation for doing this stuff, I'm like, well, you know, if a few more people listen to the show, it doesn't really hurt. But that's not my motivation. I, I find it fascinating there's, there's this guy out in Indiana who's spending his whole life, either he is Andy Kaufman or he's pretending to be Andy Kaufman or there's some relation to Andy, you know, Andy Kaufman or something 
this guy is spending his whole life doing this Andy Kaufman stuff. I think, think it's interesting. I think it's cool. And I think that the, the, the adventure, the interest around it is just really cool. That's my motivation. Not like some sort of weird promotional thing. Believe me, I could do a lot more promotion. I could sit around promoting the show in the normal ways. You know, contacting people, contacting other podcasts, making comments on blogs, whatever. Here we go. For me, you know, if I get 100 more listeners, it's really good for me. So, yeah. Um, Is he involved in more ways than he appears to be? So, here we go. This starts that people are saying, I'm telling everyone, look, I am not involved in this. I did not have anything to do with the planning or anything. I don't know what Stephen Maddox looks like. I have no idea what this, this thing is all about. You know, I interviewed him on my show uh, a month or two back. And, yes, I have talked to him on the phone a couple times. But that's it. I'm not inside this thing, you know. It's kind of, I do, I so now these people are making up these conspiracies. about. Or they're, they're asking, see, it's, it's questions, right? right? Now they are walking to the room of the press conference. Notice the Rampler is on the phone with Andy Kaufman slash Stephen Maddox. Why doesn't he turn his phone on speaker so we can all hear Andy's voice? Okay. <laughs> Let me address this one, okay? I agreed to do this. I agreed with this guy, Stephen Maddox, to be the host of this press conference, okay? He's talked to me in a voice that is, you know, it's one of these things where, you know, it, it, it could be Andy Kaufman doing a voice or it couldn't be. I couldn't really say. But I have heard his voice, the voice he's talking to on the phone there, and other people haven't. So that the whole thing is I understand. And he asked me in the beginning when I started doing this. Before he talked to me, he's like, look, can you please not record this? When I'm talking to you, I, I said, absolutely not. And I absolutely have not recorded it because, you know, I feel like if I tell, some, if I tell someone, no, I won't record it, I, 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 will, I will, you know, want to honor that, you know. I could say, no, you know what, I'm going to record you no matter what, so don't even talk to me, you know, stuff like that. Like, but I honestly said, I won't record you. And it, and it actually means something to me. I would feel really bad if I broke that trust. You know what I'm saying? That's just sort of like, you know, that's just my personality, whatever. I think most people are honest, you know what I mean? And they're not scumbags and will say one thing and do another. There are some scumbags like that out there, but that's not me. So, I'm talking to this guy. We're now expecting to walk into a room and we're going to see Andy Kaufman or something amazing going to happen. And I know the guy doesn't, he, you know, I've heard his voice, so I'm the one he wants to call. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, So, this guy's saying, why don't you turn your phone on speakerphone so everyone can hear it? Well, that would be kind of a jerky thing to do, Okay. That's it. So, so anyway, this is like a whole conspiracy theory, but I, I think that you understand the explanation, right? They enter room 806 and look around. No Andy, no Steven. And then he shows the script. Um, Andy Kaufman slash Steven Maddox calls the Rampler a couple times before the conference starts. He never turns his phone on speaker. Okay, again, I explained that. The Rampler takes out his computer and begins to log onto the Internet. Well, that was true. But check this out. He sounds more excited than anyone else as he describes it. Okay. Wow. That was a wild clip from 2008 talking about the Andy Kaufman press conference. And I remember this because um, it was, you know, as much as I've been into conspiracy theories, be it Paul is dead or Apollo 11, whatever, this was a one of the only times I was accused of being involved in one of these conspiracy theories. They thought I was involved in this whole thing, whereas I, I knew I actually wasn't. But people were reading way too much into it. So it was very educational and interesting. But yeah, that was about the Andy Kaufman uh, press conference. And um, I've often sort of thought 
about this bizarre sequence of events, what happened with the Andy Kaufman thing. And as I've said many times, I, a lot of the people I met, very cool people that were in this whole Andy Kaufman uh, scene, are people that are very much obsessed with Andy Kaufman. I never have been obsessed with Andy Kaufman. I could take it or leave it. I've seen him on Taxi and Saturday Night Live. But to me, the story was about this guy, Steve Maddox, who was spending his life, as I mentioned there, spending his life trying to perpetuate this myth. Who is this guy? Why is he doing it? It's a human interest story, right? Um, but talking about, I want to talk about conspiracy theories, the larger question of um, what if in the original timeline the overnight escape stopped, say in like 2006 or 2007, how could it have kept going this whole weird Andy Kaufman thing and then the WFMU thing, which we're getting to in 2009. Um, unlikely weird events that were sort of this bridge that allowed for the continuation of the overnight escape. Just one of many theories as to what the heck was going on. But um, one of the participants of at the, at the Andy Kaufman press conference was uh, Chris Gethard, who wound up becoming kind of a celebrity on TV, which is weird. And then a guy named Bryce from radio station WFMU, which was... Um, a very cool independent radio station in Jersey City, New Jersey. So, through Bryce, uh, Ken, the leader of WFMU, contacted me and asked me to come on the station. And this then led to 2009 being all about me being on WFMU, on the real radio, right? I wound up getting a show in the middle of the night, the overnights, 2 to 6 a.m., on Saturday. So it was Friday night, Saturday morning. It was a very cool experience, but... Fuck you, FMU! I know, right? They canceled my show. <laughs> Did they get on there? Fuck yeah. you, FMU! Yeah, well, you know, they asked me to come on, and then I did my best. I did. I, you can hear all the shows. They're all in the archive, and you can, you can judge for yourself. I think I did a great show, and they, then they canceled the show. So I had one summer doing the show, I would I would work on Friday. I would take Benadryl tablets to be able to sleep, uh, take a nap for about two hours after I got home. Wake up around eleven thirty, or uh, actually, like my show started at two, so I think I, I left around twelve thirty a.m. to go to the station, which is about forty minutes from here. Um, do my show. I did mass preparation work. I brought this huge like duffel bag of stuff to bring. Um, I think I did a very good job on that show. Um, yeah, and then they canceled the show. Though I did get in the doc in the WFMU documentary. There's a documentary called Sex in Broadcasting, and I went to one of their meetings. <laughs> yes, kind of like David Bowie in Twin Peaks. I went to one of their meetings, and uh, you could see me for like two seconds in in, in the movie, sitting there in the meeting. Um, anyway. That was a wild scene. I was still doing the overnight escape, though. I kind of stopped doing the overnight escape around May of 2009. Continued doing the Rampler and the Rampler on WFMU and the overnight escape underground, and it just got to be way too much. It was this crazy thing that reached its head around October. They canceled the show. 
Then I canceled the Overnightscape and the Rampler. I canceled everything, and I just continued with the Overnightscape Underground, what became the Frank Norris Show. But around October, other people started doing shows on the channel. I didn't even ask them to. It just started happening. Eddie from Ireland, Eddie Murray, did the first show. He was in Manila in the Philippines. That was earlier in the year. And then others came on board in October, and this group channel was born. I think that the group channel, having other shows on the, on the network, was an absolute key factor to the continuation of the Overnightscape. Because at every point, there were points where my motivation to keep going. What happened? What happened, Denise? Those containers? We have all these plastic containers that are just getting out of control in our cabinets. Um, right? This is all about motivation to keep me doing the show, which I love doing the show. When it became a group channel, it was a cement that created a much greater strength than had been previously. This all happened in this crazy year of 2009, um, where there was this big blowout, and then I just continued this show as the Overnightscape Underground, which is me on the Overnightscape Underground. In October, I took their radio vacation, and I, uh, I didn't know what was going to happen. So 2009 was the big blowout year. And uh, so the Overnightscape, as, an, as the name of the show... I believe it was in May was the last episode I did until like the following May in, in 2010. In 2011, I brought it back. Anyway, let's see what the randomness has given us for 2009. This is early in 2009. The Overnight Escape 765, January 3rd, 2009. So this is very early in the process before everything went nuts. See what I have to say in 2009. Kaboom cereal. <laughs> Yeah, man. Kaboom. Space Shuttle Challenger. Kaboom. Holy <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Kaboom, man. See, and, and, and of course, the new version, the character is not as cool. The character is like all three-dimensional looking, whatever. I like the original Kaboom. What is this? The monsters go disco. What is this? Booberry? Count Chocula and uh, and Frankenberry are, are going uh, disco. The hell! Fru oh, there's Fruit Brute and Fruity Yummy Mummy. Yeah, man. Baron von Redberry, freaky. Oh, this is a cool blog post. What the hell is this? I'll put this. Can we can we hear this? Do we can we, do we get to hear this record or? They have like a, a link to it or I don't know. Anyway, so that's why when I saw this, let's review this right now. This this thing, okay. This is Kaboom. Now on the it, these are these sort of oddly shaped frosted glass boxes. You know, uh, boxes, bottles. You know, um, frosted glass. You know, sort of like that. You can see inside, but it's sort of frosted. And the, the caps have an infinity symbol on them, and it's Kaboom, right? And ka the two zeros or the two O's of Kaboom are the infinity symbol, right? kind of a backwards eight you know the infinity symbol and it says kaboom infinite wellness usd organic so these are wellness be wellness beverages 
What? Copyright 2007, Brand X. <laughs> what? This is, this is from Brand X. Great, great. I'm going to have something from Brand X. Great. So I, I have two kinds of Kaboom here. I have one that is uh, Orange Passion. Oh, they have little orange underscore passion. Oh, they're trying to be very computerish. Antioxidants, vitamins, and organic juices. Organic juice blend. Kaboom Infinite Wellness. They don't really have much information on here other than it's, it's from it's from Brand X. Let's go to the website, kaboomwellness.com. Let's see. Kaboomwellness.com. Kaboomwellness.com. Let's see what's going on here. Infinite energy and infinite wellness. It's better for you, better for the community, and better for the planet. <laughs> what the hell is Brand X? Uh, vigilantes of good. Read about a few kaboomers that are vigilantes of good. What? Oh, God. What are these people? Alex. Vigilante of good. Alex has committed two years of her life to teach for America, where she'll lead a classroom in one of our country's lowest-income communities. That kind of sacrifice doesn't just take devotion. It takes positive energy. To read Alex's story and join the forces of good, stay tuned. Josh is another vigilante of good. They're all wearing, like, superhero masks. Once a week, Josh trades a night with friends for a night with his local youth AIDS chapter, helping curb the spread of AIDS through music and pop culture. That kind of sacrifice doesn't just take devotion, it takes positive energy. To read Josh's story and join the forces of good, stay tuned. He's helping curb the spread of AIDS through music and pop culture? Hmm. Okay. Sarah, another vigilante. Every other weekend, Sarah gives up her Feb Saturday to help the, the Points of Light Foundation and the Hands-On Network make a difference in her community. Now, wait a sec. Now, let's just back up a second here. Okay. She, every other weekend, for one day, she's helping someone. This guy, uh, once a week, he's helping this thing. Okay, okay, so they're like volunteers, okay, like a million other people. But that's Alex, this girl Alex, though. She's committed two years of her life to teach, okay, a, t be a teacher in one of our country's lowest income communities. <laughs> okay, which one of these three is really making a sack? I mean, obviously, this is the most, obviously, most difficult thing to do. These other people, Sarah and Josh, are they're just pretenders. Okay, Alex is the real deal. Okay, that, that that is something that you you have to be a good person to do something like that. You know what I'm saying? Because I, I I imagine that would be rather rather uh, trying, right? To uh, what the hell are they saying here? Oh, where you can buy kaboom? <laughs> Don't you think the cereal place could sue them for using the same name kaboom? You know what? You know what I should do. How about if I get a bowl of Kaboom and I pour some Kaboom into Kaboom? It would be like Kaboom squared. Oh, but I don't think I can eat it, though, because it has those little marshmallows, which are gelatin. I'm vegetarian. I can't have that. All right. What, what about the products? W where do I find the products? Kaboom Finder. No, I, I just want to see. Oh, these are a pomegranate berry and orange. Okay. All right. And then they have little can ones. Orange Buzz with... Ooh, B-U-Z-Z-Z-Z. Interesting. And they have pomegranate berry and tropical. It's tropical. Tropical. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know.
Let's try this out here. Let's try some orange passion. It had a lot of sediment at the bottom, so we've got to shake it up. Shake it up. Here we go. Hopefully it doesn't explode. It's kaboom. It's like all, probably all. No, it said it's not carbonated, though. All right. There is 2009, and listen to a little bit of music while I take a bathroom break. committed to keeping this in real time yes i had to take a little bathroom break there and by the way we're getting to that time it's 9 48 now we're getting to the time when uh was it 9 55 right 9 9 55 p.m is when i started the recording that we heard earlier right what was what time was it 9 55 a.m yes so we're getting to that time. Anyway, so that was an interesting clip. I'm not really sure what I was talking about. Kitty, what happened? Vegas, you okay? What do you want, Kitty? You want to go in the... See, the bathroom is usually closed, so I don't know if you want to go in there. Kitty, what's the matter? Anyway, um... It was some sort of vitamin supplement called Kaboom. I, I really don't know what the heck that was all about. Uh, I, I know I, 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 uh, I reviewed it, but I have no memory of that whatsoever. <laughs> it's so frustrating, all this stuff that I reviewed. I, have no, I cannot remember it in the least. Kaboom vitamins? I mean, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, so for 2009, I just... Kitties, they're going crazy. Uh... I just considered overnightscapes, so that that was going to be earlier in the year. Anyway, um, 2010 was quite a year because the Overnightscape Underground as a group channel was coming on strong. So many people started doing shows on the channel, and it was quite an amazing year. It felt like another one of these times. There's all these times with the history of this whole show and this whole project where it felt like I was on to something and I was right on the verge of reaching some sort of next level. Uh, but it never never quite got there. So with 2010, with this group channel, it felt like another one like that, um, which it did. It's still going to this day. It's still In 2023, there's still tons of people doing shows on the channel here, which is amazing. Um, so 2010... 
This episode that we're going to hear is the only one that's not the Overnightscape because there were no Overnightscapes in 2010. This is the Frank Norris Show, 1595 Hermits. See, I started naming the shows at this point from October 29th, 2010. The Frank Norris Show naming scheme is all screwed up, and don't even worry about it. Uh, just I counted all the shows I had ever done, all the Overnightscapes and everything else up to that point, and counted to 1,500. Then when I got back to the Overnight Escape, we were back to 782 or, or, or 7. Yeah, I think that was the 782. Anyway, let's see what we can hear from that very pivotal year. A lot of pivotal years around this time period, 2010. Right, because once a file gets out there, it can be reproduced infinitely. You know, well, figuratively speaking, infinitely. Uh, you know, and there's there's no more scarcity. So if, if there's if you have a digital file of a song that's out there, it can spread to everyone on earth. You know, <laughs> with, with with minimal difficulty, everyone can just download it off the internet. But I think this presents kind of an issue, right? That uh, I really I really do think that the uh, the economic ideas, you know, like I I believe that. The way this economy runs is by creating artificial scarcities and exploiting those scarcities to control. So now that there's a sort of alternate example out there, which is the digital realm, I don't think the powers that be want to sort of provide such a clear illustration of how a post-scarcity economy would work, how an abundance-based resource-based economy would work in the digital realm. So I think that's why all of the companies producing all this entertainment, music, movies, television shows, and everything else are so intent on putting those choke points, those blackout points, you know, the restrictions, walls, block channels, blackouts, everything. They're trying to block, prevent, restrict digital entertainment on all fronts you know what I mean it's like it's really and it, and it really you know as, as we've seen it's you know sort of a losing battle though I guess Apple has sort of established a system where people are willing to pay for things because uh, it's just easier than pirating stuff I don't think anyone really you know, I mean, if there was a better system, I think people would rather not be pirating things. I like the kind of systems where, you know, you pay one price and you can download as much as you want or, you know, like that kind of thing. Like pay one price and you can, like with Netflix, you can pay one price and download or whatever. Not download, but you can like watch all these movies and there's those other kind of things. But anyway, it seems amazing and uh, it's, it's amazing that we're at this point in history there must be other ways of making money rather than restricting the flow of this stuff but that's what they're up to now of course there's this whole alternate underground of creative commons and this kind of thing you know but really to be realistic the you know the creative commons stuff gemendo.com and you know independent podcasting and stuff like that is really wallowing in obscurity and in fact uh, Steve Jobs of Apple in introducing 
his new Apple TV or ITV was said, uh, what, do people, what do people want? They don't want amateur hour. They want professionally produced entertainment. Right? So every, everything from podcasting, the, the entirety of YouTube, and all the independent efforts of everyone producing anything worldwide is amateur hour. Hollywood and the music, the music labels, that's what people want. That's all people want. Yeah, great. There may be some truth in it, but people should... Like, at, at, at some point, people should, um, I don't know, take a stand, maybe. And start to pay more attention to independent stuff. I don't know. Something like that. And, you know, recently there was this Blog World and New Media Expo out in Las Vegas. And this is sort of... Uh, the podcasting expo sort of became this this particular expo. It merged into this expo. So I went out to podcasting expo out, out in California back in 2005 and 2006 and recently I've been thinking of going to this thing but it just seems like a huge expense for, for what for what reason but they do have some of the keynote addresses on there on Ustream that you can you can listen to or watch so I was checking it out and it was just it was so depressing the, the opening keynote address was this like this guy, like all these, like this guy from Canada, Scott something. I forget what his name is. Kind of a real annoying speaker, like an annoying personality, like trying to be funny but really kind of failing. Um, it was all about marketing, marketing this and marketing that. And I remember that from going to those things. Everything, everyone was obsessed with marketing and monetization and everything else like that. It's just like. So even in the world of blogging and podcasting and everything else, it's all about marketing and monetization. I really don't get the whole marketing thing. This guy was saying the same shit over and over again. If you want people to link to your blog, write good blog posts. No shit, Sherlock. What a fucking idiot. And then at one point he's like, well, people tell me, Scott, what you're saying is common sense. And I'm like, yes. Well... It is common sense, so we don't need you, Scott, to tell us. <laughs> we don't need him. I've seen this so much. Marketing gurus, social marketing guru, social marketing, like courses people take, ebooks. It's such a bunch of fucking bullshit. I've... Wow. Back in 2010, I was a bit angry about this stuff. Yeah, but there was a lot of that going on. You know, all the buzzwords and marketing. Listen, marketing is very important if you have a product to sell. You know, like I work for a fashion company where marketing is a cornerstone need. They need to get people to buy their products. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I'm talking about like sort of what the podcast expo became, the blog world expo. <laughs> Remember Ustream? I was talking about Ustream on a recent episode, th those early streaming uh, services um, but yeah so I guess it was yeah this this was sort of an issue about the context for what I was doing and I think at this point I was really very much drifting away from the mainstream of what people were doing I remember clearly there was a guy I knew um, at, at those podcast meetups and I, I met him like years later, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm not doing podcasting anymore." 
it wasn't the marketing tool I thought it was. Well, what the hell are you marketing? You, are you selling a product? Like selling courses about marketing is not really marketing. Uh, as I'm trying to say, this is, you know, as Denise mentioned when she came down, that it's sort of a creative urge. It's a, it's, it's a sense of a creative need, right? It's something pure. It's not this sort of cynical cupidity that is going on in this world. Anyway, uh, that was a strange clip for 2010, but uh, it's funny because 2010 is where we really started diverging from that world of mainstream and marketing and everything and uh, creating this internet radio channel of just very unique uh, content. Again, it feels almost miraculous that I was involved in it and I was sort of involved in creating it. Very bizarre. But And also you can hear me in, uh, I'm assuming that was New York City, all the traffic noise and stuff. The system that I sort of pioneered with the Rampler, which is recording on the streets, you could hear there on that episode from 2010. So 2011, uh, we were continuing on. I think the uh, the group channel had cooled down slightly, though it was still going very well, and it's still going very well in 2023. Um, and I finally decided to bring back the overnightscape. It, you know, there's there's, there's been this uh, there's a concept and uh, that death and rebirth can strengthen something. You hear about various secret societies where they sort of mimic someone dying and then being reborn it it nothing that i intended but the overnight escape did die as a show i didn't do it for uh, like like two years but i realized you know why am i doing the frank norris show i should just go back and do the overnight escape so i brought it back there was a weird numbering scheme with letters for briefly let's not even talk about that but this is one the random number generator uh, brought up the Overnightscape 785B, Mama Wana. Mama, Mama Wana was the name of a restaurant I would see on the bus on the way to New York City. And I think recently I saw Mama Wana that it had completely shut down. It was like the whole building was in like disrepair. It had been closed for years. Um, this is from uh, June 3rd, 2011, the return of the Overnightscape. <clears throat> and so people are still spending the same amount of money. I know I wouldn't. I mean, I, I, I'm mildly interested in reading some of those comic books. I'm not going to sit and spend $3 per issue. That's ridiculous. However, and they may be doing this, I don't know. However, if you were to do a uh, pay one price and read all of the DC comics, I might consider doing that. Right there, like, look, pay this monthly fee. You will now have access to every DC comic, all the new comics of this new, newly rebooted universe. Don't worry about it. You pay this one price, and uh, you can read as much as you want. Your your account lets you read unlimited. The only thing is, how much would I pay for that? You know, personally, I don't know if I could justify it. I don't know how much I'd actually be reading it, but uh, you know, ten bucks a month. Probably 30 bucks a month, maybe not, you know. 
But it's interesting that they're... And it seems like a pretty extreme thing to, to reboot all the titles back to number one. I don't think that's a good idea at all. I think the history of it is uh, too important to do that. But they're making a huge initiative. It's really interesting that, that, that they're doing this. And so we'll see. I'm, I'm hoping they do have a pay one price thing because otherwise I think it's just another desperation move on one of these big media companies that can't get the digital world. <clears throat> so anyway, back to what I was saying about the, the Android. <laughs> DC, this, this is what I read. DC said that uh, um, because they're publishing their comic books on the iPad, that they have to go through a censorship panel at Apple. I don't think it's... It's basically it's the approval process. And Apple has very strict restrictions on content, sexual content especially. And uh, so, I don't know if it's wrong for me to say it's like a censorship panel, but uh, they're saying that uh, yeah, they they, they may have they, they there is a time period where Apple reviews the comic books and 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 whether or not they'll be allowed on the iPad because of their content. Maybe if maybe if Wonder Woman shows a little too much skin, Apple will be like, uh, why don't you draw more of a costume on her? Don't show her navel. You know? Like Isn't that despicable? That's why I hate Apple. Fuck Apple. I hate Apple. I hate Apple. I hate Apple. I'm so glad I got Android. Apple censoring comic books? Who the F do they think they are? Unbel- unreal. Unbelievable. I'm so glad. I am not gonna give them any more business. It was Apple. Jeez. Even though as I'll tell you, Google is doing something similar. Um, emulators, right? Video game emulation, something that I'm very into. Um, basically, you know, you had an old, you had your Genesis, your Super Nintendo, your Dreamcast, whatever, your old video game systems. Well, as computers get more and more powerful, and this little Android phone I have in my pocket right now is way more powerful than any computer a few years ago. Hold on a second. Here comes a bus. Hold on. Hello, hello. Hey, I'm on the bus. So anyway, uh, so yeah, you can play all the old games, and, you know, for years people were able to play the old arcade games, Atari 2600, and ColecoVision, and all that on their computers, but now these computers are so powerful, even phones are so powerful, that it's relatively easy to create a system that emulates the old hardware. And then you get what are called ROMs, which are the old games, which is this weird gray area, you know, uh, in terms of you download the ROMs, which are the old games that they're not even selling anymore. But some people say it's illegal, some people say it's not. So that's one thing that the Android had, or still has perhaps, that iPhone doesn't, is emulators, because Google was more allowing or more laissez-faire in their attitude towards apps. Emulators are not illegal. Again, there's a difference of opinion on that. Uh, Distributing ROMs, again, may be illegal. More likely to be illegal. But anyway, there were lots of emulators on on the, uh, the Android market. And so, you know, I got the Atari 2600 emulator. And uh, put all the Atari 2600 games on there. That's really cool to play that on the phone. And I, I put a Genesis emulator on there. That was great. 
and uh, you know the meme type thing. Well, I was really wasn't able to get that to work. <clears throat> I would love to play some Neo Geo games on there, but I just wasn't able to get it to work. But what really piqued my interest was uh, sorry, recording on the bus is always difficult. What really piqued my interest was the uh, Nintendo 64 emulator, which I kept re reading about, and uh, you know I was a big, huge fan of Nintendo 64, and I kept reading about it, and uh, you know I wanted it, so. By the time I got my phone, it was no longer available on the market. And I read that it wasn't Google that did it. It was the guy that wrote it took it off the market because he was getting uh, flamed and trolled. You know, the comments, people were trashing this guy left and right because the emulator wasn't perfect. So sort of in spite, he, uh, he took it off the market. <clears throat> so I've been waiting for it to come back because I got, you know, something wrong. All right, there we go, 2011. You hear me at the bus stop and then on the bus, right? Talking about uh, DC comic books. I, I, I guess, the, you know, this has happened so many times where DC or Marvel, they like destroy their entire universe and start fresh with it. issue one, Superman number one, Wonder Woman number one. I wonder how many Superman number ones there have been now at this point. Probably dozens of them. Because. Some comic collectors will will always buy number one. Yeah, the whole comic book scene is really bizarre. And then talking about the Apple censorship panel censoring comic books. Yeah, no. See, a lot of these clips, I'm very angry. I don't think I'm generally that angry, but somehow the randomness found the ra the angriness. My my angry my angry times. And talking about emulators uh, on the phone and stuff. Yeah, listen, when it comes to Apple, yeah, I, this was not my speed. I was Android all the way. I have never had an Apple phone, though I do have an iPad, but, you know, I I, I go Android all the way. Uh, you know, I, I, I do not like Apple. Um, but, yeah, that's 2011. And we are now at 10, 11 p.m., so 20 years ago today, I was in the process of recording the first episode, the first beta episode of the Overnightscape. So we, we, we surpassed 9.55, and now we're in the time when I was creating this, the first episode of the show. So we have one more clip for this week, 2012, and then next week, of course, we're going to do 2013 through 2022. This is very interesting. The episode coming up for 2012. Now, what 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 happened in 2012? The Overnightscape was back, and uh, the Overnightscape Underground was running well. And I think 2012 is when the Overnightscape Central got going. 2011, right? The end of 2011 is when it got going. But it was sort of a a year of stabilization in terms of the Overnightscape was back. Um, the other side of the Overnightscape would start in 2013. But uh, I would say that 2012, things had... The Overnightscape and the Overnightscape Underground were doing great. This is episode 862, the Carlton branch, from March 22nd, 2012. Now, of course, the Carlton branch is a theory of mine that I sort of hinted at earlier um, I wanted to go 
the college. My first choice of college in 1985 was Carleton College in uh, Minnesota. They did not accept me. The only college that accepted me was Drew University in Madison, New Jersey. If Carleton had accepted me, I would have gone there. For some reason, I liked that place. So I imagine that there is a version of reality or a timeline where I went to Carleton College and my life took a completely different course. I call this the Carleton Branch, and that was the name of this episode. Let's see what I'm saying there in 2012. Which obviously was sort of just very much inspired by Woolworth, and Woolworth was still very much in business, but they were like in like a lot of shopping malls. I guess they really weren't. Was there? Sh- that was sort of the real early days of shopping malls or shopping areas. But let's see. What else did I write down? Yeah. Oh, we got to go. To, we have to go to uh, Foot Locker. Okay, it's right down here on Seventh Avenue. Lorax. I don't know. I'm not really interested in the Lorax. The giant poster here with a three-dimensional kind of Lorax face on an orange background. Okay, great. I don't know why. I don't find the Lorax very interesting at all. Um, so, somehow, instead of like, like, I was thinking like, well, Woolworth just could have been Walmart, right? Like, Woolworth was in a position to be Walmart, right? They were at it like 80 years earlier they've been in it so I don't understand it must have been there's got to be a book written I'd like to read a book about this I'd like to understand what happened to Woolworth because they were clearly already very firmly entrenched and established somehow they did not become Walmart or Target or anything or Kmart or anything like their stores were always smaller oh this cigar went out again I'm talking too much and puffing too little hold on Oh, look. The Hawaiian Tropic Zone, out of business. It was like a theme restaurant where you go in and there's uh, girls in uh, bikinis serving you. <laughs> sort of a Hooters type idea. but uh, And you would even see, like, when you looked out, you looked inside, you could see, like, these girls in bikinis. But I guess it didn't work out. Had a bit of problems there. Lit my cigarette right next to all these other people. <laughs> or not my cigarette, my cigar. And uh, I don't know. Let me, go, let me go into this little phone kiosk here. Are these phones still working? Come on. Okay. Yeah. Right, kind of breezy out here. Someone's rapping over here. Let's check it out. Oh, those are those guys that forced you to buy their CDs. That's great. I don't think that was very good rapping either. I'm sorry. You know the gag here? If you're ever in Times Square, do not allow this to happen to you. These guys have these CDs. They hand them to you and they start talking to you. Like, what your name? And you, you tell them your name, and then they'll, they'll write it with Sharpie on the CD. And they'll give it to you. They're like, and you, then they force you to buy it because you're, oh, your name's on it. Oh, my God. 
and everyone's like frightened and they just wind up uh, buying it giving them 10 bucks or whatever and running away it must be a good gag because they're constantly here <coughs> uh, it's a good cigar though so yeah I don't know so they like apparently Woolworth's idea was they I don't know what the timing is on this but they decided that they, they were going to create different specialty stores right because they, they they bought Kinney shoes remember Kinney shoes <laughs> it was a shoe store called Kinney shoes and uh, so they, they thought that the best idea would be to create different specialty stores so they, they would buy like six, seven, eight stores in a mall right and they'd all be these different specialty stores and their theory was whatever was popular at the time maybe like a video game store or music stores or whatever they could just swap out the store since they already had the spaces they could just swap out the, the sign on the store swap out the merchandise and uh, you know they'd have this constant ability to create these specialty stores like for example Foot Locker was for like uh, sneakers and stuff athletic footwear uh, so I, I guess that's kind of an interesting idea the other idea was like Walmart and stuff I guess just <laughs> buy a massive piece of land build this massive building and just sell everything under the sun <laughs> that seemed to work better so apparently they said like this Woolworth's concept of these specialty stores didn't really work out but Foot Locker was quite successful so somehow I'm sort I'm sure I'm simplifying this whole thing but somehow as time went on their five and ten stores that were everywhere like I guess just could not compete and they started closing those stores by 1998 I think they were pretty much all shut down and you know the Dow Jones industrial average right you know the Dow Jones and they say the Dow was up the Dow was down uh, it's, it's actually not the entire stock market it's just sort of like a couple hundred or a hundred or something stocks that are represent industrial concerns different companies and uh, Woolworth was on there and they got kicked off and uh, Walmart was put on instead so anyway, so uh, so Woolworth was like closing their Woolworth stores, and they became a company. They, they changed their name to the Venator Group. That's kind of odd. Gee, what great recognition! Venator, what? 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 What are the founders of this company playing Monopoly too much? It sounds like Ventner. You know what? Yes, there is 2012, the Carlton Branch. Obviously, we did not get to the part where I talked about the alternate timeline known as the Carlton Branch, but I was talking a lot about Woolworth and. Uh, yeah, the little known fact. The company, if you're older, you know Woolworths were everywhere. And uh, in Britain and in Australia, there's a supermarket chain called Woolworth that was copied their name from the American Woolworth, but are not otherwise related. And the last remnant of the company we knew as Woolworths, the, the five and dime stores, you know, is Foot Locker. That's just, it's like so interesting. Um yeah, also there was talking about the Hawaiian Tropic Zone. I think that was somewhere in Times Square. A phone kiosk, uh, my cigar, these rappers trying to give you CDs, Kinney shoes, all sorts of fun stuff in 2012. Yeah. So uh, we're going to stop there for this episode, and then the next 10 years, 2013 through 2022, will be next week, because next week we'll be honoring... 
Beta 2, the Beta 2 episode. But uh, anyway, I did want to touch on the future of uh, this project as it, <coughs> excuse me, it's still going. As you know, I have this book that I published in 2021 called The Onsug, a radio station inside a book. Am I, am I really still hiccuping? That's ridiculous. Um, I'm going to be uh, putting together a new edition this year. <gasps> what the hell? Um, I'm just going to call it The Overnight Escape Underground, a radio station inside a book. <laughs> so annoying. To uh, To kind of simplify it. I think the Overnight Escape Underground, though it is longer, is more information-rich. <laughs> Listen, I'm just going to power through this uh, hiccuping thing. Yes, maybe I had a bit too much mescal. I don't know. Anyway, um, an idea I have talked about a bit is right the radio station inside the book. I have envisioned this now as... A, loca a location, a place you can go, especially when the metaverse really comes around. The Overnight Scape Underground will be about the size of a store in a mall, a shopping mall, right? It's, go it's going to be <coughs> um, essentially a radio station in a mall in a mall, but the one of the main features will be sort of like an old blockbuster or a video store, right? Where all of our shows, over, over 10,000 different episodes in various collections will be arranged. There'll be tapes of all these shows in this virtual store. This will be in a virtual reality. It's very hard to talk about this when I'm hiccuping. Um, so you can imagine something like an old blockbuster or old video store or some, I, I think I'm drunk. Yeah. I'm hiccuping. Well, we'll end it soon. So imagine a, like, like a video store, but instead of videos, there's sort of tapes of all the different shows in the Overnight Escape Underground Archive, over 10,000 different shows, right? Arranged like a video store. And you can take one and bring it to a listening room. There'll be these little rooms that have seating areas and like video screens on the walls. So you bring in the tape to listen to <coughs> all of the content in the Overnight Escape Underground and each room will sort of, through the video screens on the walls, sort of give you a different environment. Sometimes it'll look like you're in the forest or it'll look like you're um, driving down the road, right? You can imagine each listening room would have its own different themes that you can set up in these listening rooms. So to me, this is very important because it's going to establish um, kind of a, um, it's an easy to understand idea. You come to the Overnight Escape Underground, you can hang out in the store area, and then they're also in the store area, off to the side, there will be radio studios, right, where 
either on a platform or in a in a room with a a window uh, where we can actually do the shows. We can record the shows there. So it will be like a radio station inside a book. But in the sense that in a virtual reality, if there's a shopping mall in a virtual reality, the Overnight Escape Underground will just be another store in the shopping mall, right? And you can go in, select something to listen to, go into a listening room and listen to it. And it's also a place where the shows can be produced. I just wanted to mention that because that is looking forward as opposed to looking backwards as we're doing, obviously, on the 20th anniversary. And then we can produce audio of that experience, of going into the, the store, choosing your audio, and then going into a listening room and listening to it. Excuse me, this hiccuping is out of control. Yes. Anyway, I just wanted to mention that. Hiccuping. The hell. And this is another episode of the Overnight Escape, right? I mean, this is like, this is part of the sequence. This is 1998. Anyway, I would like to thank you so much for patching in to this episode of the Overnight Escape. I am your host, Frank Ebernor. We're here in the Overnight Escape Underground, <coughs> a radio station inside a book. Just go to OnSug.com for all your OnSug needs. Remember, you are invited to participate in Overnight Escape Central. We're in the middle of that Beatles festival, <laughs> the Beatles phase. Check it out. Listen to the latest episode for all the information you need to participate. It's now 10.24 p.m., so 20 years ago, I was well into recording Beta, beta 1. <laughs> I was not hiccuping as much, though. <coughs> Check it out. We have over 13,000 hours of content, over 10,000 episodes. We're a non-commercial project. See, the dream of making money off this. Uh, eventually, we all I decided to go all non-commercial, which I think was the right, the right decision. I don't think this kind of project could survive being commercial. And we have a very unique style, and we're very focused on people listening in both the near and far future. So if you're someone in the far future, like the year 6000 or something, welcome. Hope you're enjoying the show. Now we're going to shift gears, as we've been doing since the dawn of 2013, and present you an alternate audio dimension with all sorts of fun stuff. You're gonna love it. It's coming soon. It's coming now. It's approaching. No hic no hiccuping here. This is the others. The other side. This thing makes it possible for me to be everywhere in a sense. I mean, uh, I have communications with people that I've never met all over the world. I mean, we are, we are together in this virtual place called cyberspace where there isn't any time and there isn't any distance. 
uh, of course, when you're in a place where there isn't any time and isn't any distance, it's kind of like being nowhere at all. Hi, this is Steve Roberts, Nomadic Research Labs. You've reached the cellular phone aboard Behemoth, the networked recumbent bicycle. I'm not on the bike at the moment, so please leave a message, and when I'm back on the road, I'll find it and call you back. Thank you. You know, it's allowed me to redefine home as something virtual. In the old days, before I lived on the net, I had homes in places like Louisville, Kentucky, and Columbus, Ohio, and the thought of moving and wandering involved a tremendous amount of disruption in life. That whole issue has just disappeared because I treat the network as home. So my physical location is irrelevant. This is the control console here. The main screen is a Macintosh, and that's where I do most of my work. All my electronic mail and writing and things like that take place there. Mapping software, I use a program called GeoQuery that brings up a map of the area that I'm in. If I was ever stuck on an island someplace, the, the one most important thing I would want would be a computer with a net connection. I want to be in a non-space. I want to be in a public, physical space with nice people around having nice drinks. I, I just, I think I need that kind of environment far more than the kind of disembodied online cyberspace community. Well, coffee shops, they tend to draw in people who are not that familiar with computers or not so technologically oriented. I think it's really great that they position the terminals in, actually in cafes. Often it's very shy people who use this, you know. Not, not entirely. It tends to be either very shy people or very, very gregarious people. People will come out of their shells a lot more because they're not forced to represent themselves in a physical form and they know that people will be forgiving. They have a few more seconds to think out what they type. It's just not as intimidating and not as immediate of a situation when you're really just on a text-based universe. Is it any more unusual to meet someone through a computer system than to go to a public place where alcohol is served and strike up a conversation with a stranger? Of course, people are not always what they represent themselves to be, whether that's in a bar or on a computer bulletin board system. So I think the same warnings apply, but that doesn't preclude the possibility that they could become a friend or a lover or even a spouse. Netters tend to move in together and live in the same houses. And they call the houses that they live in shacks, you know, like there's a nerd shack. And, uh, nerd shacks are great. The, uh, the first place I moved into in San Jose was a nerd shack, and it was really a blast because there were seven people moved into this house, and they'd all met each other over, over BBSs. So every one of them had a phone line and a computer, and whenever, like, Domino's Pizza or something would come by to deliver us a pizza, we had set up all of the machines in the living room. They were all set up. I mean, the guy thought he'd walked into, like, NORAD Center or something. We'll return after these messages. Look! It's a green-bellied sap something. Chip, chip, chip! Dad, stick em. Smack, smack, sugar smacks. Give me a smack.
be a bright idea? These disc glove pants from Levi's Women's Wear have a fit that somehow looks tight but doesn't feel tight. With no side seams, they have the sleek line of a glove. Yet they're so soft and comfortable, I can sit like this all night and my pants won't cut or bind. For clothes you can really relax in, look for Levi's Women's Wear, the sign of the soft, comfortable fit. After we eat, you want to be soft. You gotta be firm. There's a right time for snacks, and I say when. Then I insist on Hostess, because they're always so fresh. Chocolatey cupcakes, tender fruit pies, golden Twinkie snack cakes with cream filling. Fresh, wholesome Hostess meets my tough standards. So when I say yes, it's Hostess. Now back to our story.
As you know, we've been committed to supporting the various trade segments that we rely on to get our products to the consumers, and we have actively participated in their meetings for many years. Hello, I'm Jack Gillis. Part of our participation has included the production of multimedia presentations for the general sessions of the conventions. We've produced the New Doors to New Profits program at the National Association of Tobacco Distributors meeting for the last 16 years, the National Association of Wholesale Grocers of America for the past five years, and at the National Grocers Association for the last three years. Our longest relationship has been with the National Association of Convenience Stores. During our 18 years with NACS, we have reported on such issues as armed robbery, store design, community relations, and fast food. In 1985, we presented the 18th edition of the Ideas, Ideas, entitled Meteor in Motion. Our program examined how five change used a variety of meteor and communications, as well as the store itself, to bring customers through their doors. It was half past four, I pulled into my favorite convenience store. Now some of these places, man, they all seem the same. But this store keeps me coming back again and again. You know why? Tell me why. Media in motion brings customers through your door. Television, radio, print advertising, and billboards. All are the media our five participants use effectively. There is one other medium which all five of the convenience chains concentrate on. The stores themselves. We at Philip Morris hope you will see and hear some ideas utilized by these five chains, which may be applicable to your own stores. So let's get moving with Media in Motion. Our first Media in Motion case study is National Convenience Stores Stop and Go. There are more than 1,100 Stop and Goes in 11 Sunbelt states. Average store volume is $783,000 per year. Media plays a primary role in generating traffic at Stop and Go locations. Stop and Go puts muscle into its media with a multi-million dollar budget augmented by all the co-op money available. One key to the effectiveness of their media spending is the tie-in support at point of purchase. Dane Seibert, manager of store design and merchandising systems, calls it environmental marketing. Says Dane, If we're going to spend the money, we want to be intrusive in the air and at least get everybody's attention. And same thing with our POP. Uh, most of our stuff's going to be motorized. We're actually going to have it turning and moving with motion. Uh, we'll use a lot of color to get the dramatic... All point-of-purchase displays, signs, mobiles, and other store graphics tie into Stop and Go's media campaign. Stop and Go has established a total store environment with the right products that are readily available, attractively merchandised, and priced to give the customers real value. This total approach positions Stop and Go as a friendly neighbor store. As you can see, this theme has been integrated into all signage, interior, and exterior. The neighbor store concept is part of Stop and Go's long-range plan to stress convenience in a warm, friendly shopping environment that will attract women. Stop and Go realizes that the 18 to 35-year-old male makes up the bulk of their existing customer base. 
However, women are a frequently overlooked but important audience. The upscale look of the new store with soft interior lighting has tested very well with women. Stop and Go is planning television commercials totally directed at women. Let's take a closer look at how Media in Motion works at Stop and Go on television, in the store, and at the product level. Stop and Go is airing this TV spot in 12 of its most important markets. Oh. Do I need a refill? Looks like you need a hog. A hog? 46 ounces of Coke in a plastic cup. You see, two 22-ounce McDonald's cups adds up to only 44. And at about 70 cents a piece, that's $1.40. The hog's only 99 cents. That's more for less. The hog's spot. And big. Oh, don't say big. You're the boss. Now you're talking. We're neighbors. we That's boss hog. A familiar face from the popular TV series, Dukes of Hazard. He certainly projects the good neighbor image. The hog theme got its start in the spring of 1984 when Stop and Go introduced a fountain drink called The Hog. The Hog offers 13 soft drink options in this 46-ounce plastic cup for only 99 cents. Last fall, Stop and Go introduced the Groundhog, a 16-ounce cup of coffee which reinforced not only the hog theme, but helped focus on the fact that the coffee beans were actually ground in the store at most locations. And to extend the promotion even further, Stop and Go introduced the pocket hogs. Little coins attached to the bottom of the 46-ounce cup and 16-ounce coffee cup, which, when collected, can be redeemed for a tie-in purchase of chips or a sandwich. An employee incentive program ties in with a hog promotion. Kathy Strickland, sales promotions manager, explains. The pocket hog incentive is to get them excited and pumped up about the pocket hog program itself. We want to make sure that that message gets communicated to the customers, not just through the POP. The point of purchase Kathy mentioned looks like this. A variety of signs and mobiles, motorized and standard, promote the 46-ounce hog drink. And, of course, remind the customer that he can also get a sandwich for $1.25. And kids love the drink, even though sometimes it takes two or three to hold such a large cup. Dane elaborates on Stop and Go's media philosophy and commitment. We're very committed to point of sale. Uh, we feel it's obviously one of the most efficient mediums you have. It's a perfect market match. It was the greatest potential for ourselves. The customer's already got his hand in his pocket while he's in your store. And we feel that the opportunity in the stores is where we're going to put a lot of attention. But we're really looking to do some grandiose point of sale. Stop and Go's point of purchase addresses three major audiences. The motorist driving by, the on-premise customer buying gas, and the customers in the store. That's why the neighbor theme is so prominent on these money order signs and on the pump toppers. Media in motion at Stop and Go is not just confined to electronic and in-store media. They also promote through a chain-wide dollar buster four-color mailer that doubles as a newspaper insert. These 25th anniversary sale inserts were mailed to every household within a one-mile radius of each Stop and Go. This corporate effort was executed in conjunction with a direct mail merchandising company. The items on the front and back are the result of a co-op effort. Stop and Go views this media in motion as incremental business. 
almost $4 million worth, with total sales from the mailer approaching $6 million. This strategy creates traffic, attracts more women, and improves product movement. Stop and go and media in motion. As Boss Hogg says, now you're talking. Convenience type accounts are our fastest growing class of trade. Our market share in convenience stores is consistently higher than the area share. And because of our strong position in these outlets, we invest in programs such as Ideas Ideas, which we make available at the national meeting as well as state and local conventions. We recently chose the medium of videotape to bring our message to the convenience store operators in another way. Last summer, Philip Morris, in conjunction with Convenience Store Insights, produced a videotape that mirrors our philosophy of profitable cigarette merchandising techniques in C-stores. Would you like a couple sugars with these? No, I'm trying to lose a few pounds. Well, maybe I'll have a couple of these blueberry muffins. Can I help you? Yeah, I want to rent this movie, but what I, I really want is Beverly Hills Cop, and it's never in. Oh, that's no problem. You can reserve it. Oh, great. Well, I'll take this one. Hey, Jimmy. You only got two six-packs left in the case. Do you have any cold guys left in the back room? And where'd all the chips go? I need at least six bags. Can I get this film back by Wednesday? It's my kid's graduation. Sure. You don't look like you're old enough to have a kid in high school. Nah, kindergarten. Burritos will be ready in a minute. How about those nachos? Sunday paper gets any thicker, I'm going to have to start getting it delivered to the house. Ooh, could I have a couple packs of Marlboros? There's no question that for the convenience store industry as a whole, expansion of consumer purchases and expansion of consumer segments served are vital elements for future growth. New marketing opportunities exist to expand the products and services offered to attract specific consumer segments. These segments, dual income couples, the elderly, and single parents, to name a few, all have higher levels of disposable income than the traditional convenience store shopper. Our opening segment illustrated a few of the many new products and services currently being offered by convenience store operators across the country. Not to continue to test and evaluate these new concepts and merchandising ideas would be a mistake. However, many operators, perhaps in their excitement to develop new departments, have neglected some of the traditional proven categories. That, too, is a mistake. A mistake with serious bottom-line consequences. Now, at a time when sales increases are becoming more and more difficult to achieve, maximizing the productivity of the limited space available is more critical than ever. But the emphasis on new departments and new product offerings and the accompanying reallocation of space have limited the inventory levels and decreased the merchandising impact in a number of proven profit-producing categories. Nowhere in the store is this more true than in cigarettes. The balance between convenience for the customer and inventory levels in the cigarette category can make or break the retailer's bottom line. Breadth and depth of cigarette inventories are essential to maximize profit potential. Regardless of the method used in measuring performance, cigarettes are the number one item in convenience stores. 
comparing the top five product categories, cigarettes had the list with 14.6% of total store sales. And more importantly, almost 17% of total convenience store profits. Cigarette performance is even more dramatic when compared to the other power categories on a direct product profit basis. At $35.04, the cigarette category far surpasses on a direct profit contribution all other products sold in convenience stores. Due to their low bulk, high value, and high turns, the majority of the gross profit from cigarette sales goes right to your bottom line. Present performance notwithstanding, there's still an even greater sales and profit potential with the category. But before convenience store operators can realize that untapped potential, they must understand the changes that have taken place within the industry in just the past few years. Consider this. In 1977, retailers could satisfy 99% of their customers by stocking about 110 brand packings. Now today, to keep that same percentage of customers satisfied requires stocking about 193 brand packings, an almost 100% increase in just eight years. Most convenience store retailers stock about 135 to 140 brands, which translates to only a 95% level of customer satisfaction. As a result, convenience store retailers can expect to lose customers. More than half of all cigarette customers will go to another store when their desired brand is unavailable. According to the Popeye DuPont Buying Habits Study, cigarettes have the highest brand loyalty of any product sold over 86 percent. Can I please have a pack of players, menthol? I'm sorry, we don't carry that brand. Would you like something else? No, thanks. It wasn't too long ago that a brand with a fractional share point wasn't too important. But today, many new brands with less than a half share point are significant and profitable factors in the industry. Consider this. A brand with a fractional share point may sell anywhere from one-half to a carton a week, depending on local store demographics. Put another way, that's ten customers, half of which will go to another store to buy that brand they're looking for. And that customer loss can be multiplied for every lower share brand that's not in distribution, as well as the other items they might have purchased. Can the average convenience store afford 100 to 150 customers a week to go somewhere else to buy the lower share brands they prefer? Well, it's obviously counterproductive for convenience store retailers who live or die on the numbers of people who come into the store not to carry lower share brands. In addition to carrying the increased number of brands to meet consumer needs, inventory depth, availability must also be assured. Product availability is the key to cigarette profitability. But the traditional merchandising, ordering, and inventory management techniques learned in the 70s limit operators from realizing the full profit potential from the category. Perhaps the best example is the ratio of inventory to sales. In the 70s, a one-and-a-half-week supply, or about 150% of weekly sales, was sufficient. Today, retailers must carry at least a two-week supply to prevent out-of-stock and realize the category's full potential. Interestingly, the majority of the increased inventory should not be in the lower share brands, but in the top 20 to 30 best-selling brands. Now, those are the brands that are most likely to run out of stock if there's an insufficient backup. A couple of packs of Marlboro, please. Sorry, sir. Roll out. Would you like another brand? No, just bring this up. I'll stop at another store on the way home. 
Due to an increase in market share, Marlboro, the single largest selling brand in convenience stores, consistently has an excessive out-of-stock rate that exceeds 11%. Many convenience store operators, in an effort to keep inventory levels at a minimum, put restrictions on ordering. Rather than reevaluating their ordering systems to allow store personnel to order more of those brands that sell more. What invariably happens when arbitrary restrictions are placed on ordering is an eventual buildup of inventory misallocation. Now, this chart, based on data from A.C. Nielsen, clearly demonstrates the inventory misallocation in convenience stores for each tobacco supplier. Philip Morris USA, whose brands account for almost 44% of the sales, has an inventory level of only 32.4%. The 11-point difference simply means that Philip Morris brands, most noticeably the Marlboro family, are the ones most likely to run out of stock. Those companies whose share of inventory exceeds their share of sales also cost the retailer by tying up valuable inventory dollars and occupying dearly needed shelf space that could be used for the faster selling brands. Simply stated, inventory misallocation is a two-edged sword. Sales and profits and customers are lost due to out of stocks and the excess inventory ties up capital required to correct the problem. The untapped profit potential shows how to merchandise cigarettes for maximum profits. If you haven't already done so, remember to show this informative video to your convenience store accounts whenever you get the chance.
psychologists proudly present Halloween Madness, 10 non-stop hours of classic anthems and hardcore noise. Turntable sorcerers on the night will be Dubra, Deduction, Mad B, Mark Dow, DJ Sky and DJ Nows, plus an exclusive PA by Chromatics. This event will kick from 10pm to 8am on Friday the 1st of November. Location will be Wonderland Arena, Leebridge Road, London E5, next to Lee Valley High Street. We've got all the attractions of any other non-scale events. Also present will be TV Airborne filming the whole night. Buy your tickets early, £10 in advance or more on the door. Ticket outlets, Wonderland Arena, Soon Rebels, 188 Candom High Street, Candom. Passion Rebels, Mash, Oxford Street. Tag Rebels, Chocadero, Leicester Square. Final Manual Rebels, 214 Northfield Avenue, Ealing. Primetime Rebels, Lee Howard, Lucian. But 47333 or 0860-533-865. Coming into the psychology time tunnel or sound and vision and challenge the mystery that surrounds Halloween. Psychology entering your mind. Where are you going, Tony? Digger the dog, digger, he goes with you when you explore. Just pull his leash and go for a walk. He's your dog for sure. What's your dog's name? Digger the dog, digger, he goes with you when you explore. Just pull his leash and go for a walk. He's your dog for sure. Digger the dog, when you pull his string, he walks five feet from Romper Room. Right, the toy that lets you create beautiful pictures with light. Work with colorful pegs that glow with light. Light bulb not included. Make people, animals, things, and with refills, Bugs Bunny or Bozo the Clown. You can make lots of pretty pictures with Light Bright from Hasbro.